This episode is brought to you in part by the Second Mission Foundation. Second Mission Foundation is a nonprofit organization that exists to educate, elevate, and advocate for members of America's service community in order to help them find their second mission after government service. Second Mission Foundation was started by and for the members of America's service community. That means members of the armed forces, first responders, security contractors, etc. Second Mission Foundation provides these veterans the opportunity for them to tell their stories, reach their goals, and make their voices heard through educational outreach, entrepreneurship support, and community involvement. For everything you should know about Second Mission Foundation, go to secondmissionfoundation.org. That's Second Mission Foundation, all one word, dot org, secondmissionfoundation.org. Profiles in Havoc is a Havoc Journal podcast. The Havoc Journal seeks to serve as the voice of the veteran community through a focus on current affairs and articles of interest to the public in general and the veteran community in particular. Havoc Journal strives to offer timely, current, and informative content. When you go to Havoc Journal, you will read the most articulate, opinionated, thoughtful, and provocative veteran writers writing about the nation, the world, politics, national security, culture, fitness, movies, the list goes on and on and on. Havoc Journal is always expanding, always striving to improve the reader's experience. If you haven't been there yet, check it out at HavocJournal.com. That's Havoc with a K, Journal.com, HavocJournal.com. I don't know if you guys are aware of it, but this is episode 100. And I'm saying I don't know if you guys are aware of it because I was barely aware of it. I know this should have been a moment that we really layered a lot of pomp and circumstance onto the episode and really went nuts and all that, but it just snuck up on me. Um, and next thing I knew, I was like, holy criminy, we're into triple digits now. So that said, as little thought as I gave to adding some flair to this episode, this week's guest brings all the flair with him. Um, holy shit. I mean, seriously, I did not plan it to be this badass. Uh, and it just was, but Jeff Bosley was, could, you just couldn't have asked for a better guest for our 100th episode. It was one of those episodes. I mean, look, we, I'm blessed. I count my blessings every day that we have never had a bad episode. We've never had one where I'm like, boy, I'd really like to run that one back. <clears throat> Sometimes I left more meat on the bone than I would have liked or whatever. But that said, this was truly an exceptional conversation that we had. And my criteria for saying that is simply that um, it wasn't just enjoyable for me. It didn't just seem like he was having a good time, but there was so much food for thought. Um, you know, the amount of ideas I kept thinking about after and concepts and um, just snippets of our conversation that kept running through my mind in the days since. So that to me was the mark of a, of a great conversation and, um, I mean, what the hell we did about three hours. I mean, it was insane. I, I, you know, we, I tell everybody when we go into this, it's going to be a long form conversation. This one was, um, was epic though. So if you're listening to this on your drive to work, uh, maybe we got you covered for the whole week or something. I don't know. You know, you're going to get a lot of, got a lot of bang for your buck on this one. Um, but Jeff is, uh, you know, I mean, his resume it's not hard to imagine why he's such an interesting guy with the resume he has. That said, 
I'm sure you could be a shitty conversationalist and still have the same resume, I guess. Um, but you know, when you've been an actor and then join the army in the 18 x-ray program, go into special forces, get medically separated, end up becoming a firefighter, win the medal of valor as a firefighter, and then return to acting. Uh, you it's, it's, I would be really shitty at my job if I couldn't have a halfway decent conversation with him. But what Jeff brings to the table is such a, um, I, I think what I really appreciated most was his transparency, his honesty, his integrity. I mean, we talk about, you know, the, the thought process behind, um, the hashtag that he's pioneered, uh, consider quitting, you know, he's, uh, talks pretty openly about, the struggles of acting, especially versus the military. Uh, there's just so many topics. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna give you spoilers on all this. You're gonna hear about it soon enough. But it's one of those episodes that I just, uh, yeah, I just love when we can get to mineral soil that quickly and then stay there for so long. Does that make sense? Am I kind of making sense with that? Anyway, this is a badass episode. Uh, I can't wait for you guys to hear it. Happy 100th episode. Thank you, everybody for sticking with us for a hundred episodes. Hopefully it has not felt <laughs> like, like slave labor to do that. But um, man, we've enjoyed, uh, I've enjoyed doing the show. Um, before I toss this episode off to Jeff, I really do need to thank everybody at Havoc. Of course, my good friend, Charlie Faint, uh, owner of Havoc Journal for um, making the tactical mistake to let me do the show and then giving me carte blanche to run wild with it. Um, Editor-in-Chief Mike Warnock, who's been uh, such a good ally and, and support system. And, of course, Alita Su- Elisa Suderman, um, who runs social media for Havoc. And it's just a, a dynamo. And um, especially those three um, have been you know have been pivotal in the success of this show and the longevity of this show, um, which it's still weird. I still feel like I just got out of the military 10 minutes ago. But now I look and I'm like, shit, 100 episodes, we're, we're, we're trucking along. Um, and of course, thank you to all of our guests, to everybody that's come on. Um, there are so many folks that I want to have back on uh, who I had such a great time with and who have continued to do so many interesting things that I, I just think we, we'll never get tired of talking to. Um, so you'll hear and see about all them in the months to come. But it, it's meant a lot for everybody you know, I think when you start up a podcast, you feel like people are rolling the dice, agreeing to have a long-form conversation with you, um, you know, especially if they don't know you, which 95% of the time they don't. And uh, so for me, it's been incredibly gratifying um, for people to put their faith in me, agree to have a conversation, and, um, and I've just really appreciated how enjoyable those conversations have been. I just realized I really just recorded this episode in inverse order. I don't know why I didn't say all that up front and then do the Jeff Bosley intro after that. So anyway, uh, <laughs> we got another 100 episodes, I'm sure, to figure out those kinks and, and work out all that stuff uh, in the future. But for now, without further ado, I'm Christopher Paul Meyer, and this is Jeff Bosley's Profile in Havoc.
Welcome to the show, Jeff. Hey, good to be here. <laughs> Dude, so, I mean, we were just talking off, off air before about the setup and everything, and I'm now kicking myself that I have not been ambitious enough to do a YouTube show. You're, are this your home? Is that where you are right now? This is, yeah. Like, um, I, my, my girl, my, my better half, she, uh, I told her when I set up, I literally walk around my, my room with my house with a laptop going, it might feel weird in person, but when I look through the monitor, the laptop, I'm like, oh, here's a good background. Here's a good background. Here's a good background. But if you could actually pull away and see this, I am jammed into the corner. I got a bookcase over here in my right arm pit. <laughs> But you're, I, I got you're suffering for your art. Polished. Yeah, I got a turd polished back here. <laughs> it looks very planned. <laughs> no, I know, and I've I've always been the other way, where out of laziness or inertia or whatever, I'm like, yeah, whatever the backdrop is. And our general manager threw up this flag behind me. There you go. In kind of a janky way, and it ended up kind of working. And I was like, great, but yeah, it, it works. But yeah, there's um, this guy I follow. He's into fitness, and he actually at a defiance he actually uses like the the auto backdrop you know how it can yeah. kind of mat out the backdrop yeah and it's like a, a 80 or a 70s wood panel backdrop with Love this it. really janky air conditioner and oh, that's yeah. the fake backdrop and he's got like something like four million followers because he's just like he's like i'm not here for this I'm yeah here for what's, i'm spouting you know I, I love i love that move i think the only thing braver would be if the backdrop was just an unmade bed I feel like that's that's the thing that nobody wants to ever show is that you know it's like I just know. told that to Betty because we're like setting up hers. She has one Friday, and I, I she you know she doesn't need Mister Alpha male insecure poster background, you know. So I like we have this cool spot, and I was like, I don't know if people want to see our bed in the background. That seems kind of odd, you know. <laughs> it's I think that's honestly why everybody gets the backdrops is because they're all in their bedrooms and they're like. Ah, oh, shit, yeah. my laundry. You know, all those things you take yeah. for granted that you don't notice that people are looking at. Until um, you go lay yeah, yeah. Until you go, lie. until you go into it, and then you're like, oh, son of a bitch, I'm that yeah. guy now. Yeah. I had that, I had my first, we're gonna get into actual stuff here in a second, but oh, for sure. Um, but I had my first like social media snafu the other day where I made the tactical mistake of <laughs> deciding that I was cool enough to do a reel at eleven thirty at night Ooh. and set it to music. And I started to get messages where people are like, what's with this like wannabe sexy thing that you're doing and li- lying in bed? And I was like, oh, no, dude, I was on a beanbag. But I get now looking at it, I'm like, yeah, it did probably look like I was yeah, in bed. And somebody was like, did you just have sex? And like, you're look- looking at the camera like, fuck, dude. Now I get- And they're like, how does this help vet rep? And I'm like, all right, I'm an asshole. All right. <laughs> Fucking 86, this goddamn video. I just- yeah. I'll so embarrassing. I'll, I'll, you know. I'll do all that crap. And then I'll, I, for some reason over the years, I've unfortunately uh, developed a presence of mind to look at it through three different sets of eyes in a way. Like, cause I'll, I'll post and whine and complain like, like a little 15 yeah. year old girl. Yeah. But I'll, when I go to actually dedicate a reel or dedicate a video, I'm like, okay, how would this look to my friends? How would this look to my mom? How would this look to my, and then I'm like, didn't pass muster out, <laughs> but there are days where I'm just like, ah, ah I should have censored that one. No, listen. And, and I was trying to go the other way. Cause I feel like sometimes I'm too tightly wound. And I was like, Hey, let this is free form, man. Kids are doing these reels all the time. They get tons of looks and all that. Like I, I can do hard. this son of a bitch. I'm like, ah, no, can't, yeah, I'll never no, be a teenager again. That's, that's <laughs> all, all there is to it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but dude, so yeah, I mean the setup I like, um, it's very cool. Well, if you look too close, I had to pull the ceiling sconces out because they're shooting straight down. So I had to yank them and shoot them in the back. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, because that, that is purpose. what looked, that's very cool. It, it, yeah. I mean, it actually looks really well put together. Um, yeah. 
And that's kind of a weird thing because you are on, I mean, you're on like three podcasts this week. I feel like everybody's talked to you. Like you talked to my friend, Ben Bueller Garcia with yep. American War Radio, yep. right? I mean, you've talked to a ton of people. Is it because of the Green Beret thing? Is it the Green, <laughs> is it the Green Beret actor and the cognitive dissonance and people go, what the fuck? We got to find out what's behind that. What's the yeah. trigger? Do you think? I think, I think that's it. I think honestly, um, even though for me, it's like, it seems like. I'm used to it now hearing that it, it it sounds like a fake bio. Like I'm not unaware of it. Like there was this girl I was dating in Colorado and I told her I was actually on my way out of being a green beret transitioning into being, I was in the firefighter Academy. Right. And she's like, you're, you're just seriously catfishing me here. I'm like, I know I'm not that awesome, but yes, these are real things. <laughs> so I think, yeah, on the, on the, the audience end, if you will, I think a lot of people are like, this seems just off. Cause I mean, you and I both know there's still, there are vets in the arts Sure. But for some reason to the, the lay person or dare I use the word civilian, literally or metaphorically, the civilian of the they're like this. We like if I said seal an actor, that probably wouldn't be as spicy, be, but only because a lot of people don't know what a Green Beret is. They might know. Right. So and then right. if it's the like you said, the vet community, it does have not in a pompous way, but it does have a, enough of a anomalous nuance that people are like, like you said, they're like, I got to what? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and and it's definitely, and it's definitely that you were, you were in and then doing the firefighter thing. And I mean, not to gloss that over. I mean, that was my first job in the army was an army firefighter, awesome. which is fake mostly because army has no idea what to do with firefighters. But, but I mean, to win the medal of valor as a firefighter, that's a pretty big fucking deal. Like, I mean, that, that's, let's not gloss that over. Yeah, like that's yeah. actually, so I mean, kind of, yeah, to, to hit each of these wickets, in a way that it's like, seriously, you're, you're actually this dude, but talk about, and I'm, I'm jumping kind of to almost what I really want to spend a lot of time in. Um, and we can back up and flesh out this picture a little bit more beforehand, but what does that mean in Hollywood? What does that meant? I mean, I lived out there for eight years. Um, yeah. I, I know the struggles of acting and going through, you know, the trials and tribulations of the audition cycle yeah. in LA. I didn't have that kind of fucking resume though. I mean, what does that mean? What are the misperceptions and what, what are the frustrations that come with that? I would say that it, it does fortunately, because I think a lot of the business, especially when we're there and young and not known and famous, you are trying to find every, um, shiny object trickery, you know, yeah. there's lying. And then there's just like trying to navigate the game and your and brand, really what's yeah, your brand yeah, branding right? yourself yeah. and really yeah. trying to just like stand out and, and find those little gimmicks and i hate that but it got to the point where i realized those are the things you kind of have to exploit and so it works because of that shiny object syndrome they're like i don't know but it doesn't sometimes it hurts it especially the vet thing because i think without getting political but you can only imagine a lot of barrel-chested freedom fighters aren't exactly the tribe the casting director pool of hollywood is so sometimes i got to the point as my my time in la went on i realized how to read the room know like hey i probably shouldn't be going to a disney audition talking about you know hide my tattoos probably mm -hmm. shave because there's a nuance so you actually become like it works in a way of of i don't know for me my maturity especially the the world i was in in the special in the army it was a little less caveman and a lot of people in you know human interaction and so i was able to read like hey i should probably do this because this is a disney thing i know who this casting director is not i don't care about the beliefs and all that but odds are if i show up presenting myself as some like stone cold killer 
Right. They're going to just go down this rabbit hole of stereotypes yeah. and assumptions about me. So it hurts sometimes in that sense. So I, or I feel it hurts. It's not like I ever was told that, but I, it could have a, a detrimental effect. But then when it came to shows like, you know, seal team and all that, I would just vomit that resume, you know, and, and because it would help because they would at least be like, all right, apparently this guy can act. I think I've, I've been told I can, and he can also hold a rifle. So it would help. Right. But the two flip sides to that is, is you and be in the army, you know, like you have kind of a control over your fate where we come from more or less. You're like, yeah. uh, if yeah. I do this, I'll get my green beret. So that was awesome. And that's how I'm wired. So it sucks to go to an industry where you're like, I can work 110% for 12 years and get zero returns. And it could, it could possibly be, have nothing to do with you. Yeah. So that hurts. But the flip side of that coin is I call it, I say this all the time. I, my spectrum of suck is hmm. so much wider now. Yeah. Yeah. So like I can take, I'm like, oh, poor me, princess feet hurt standing in a trailer right. playing pretend for the day. I'm getting paid right. to, you know, like, so now I'm like, you know what? It's not that bad. Right. So there's like four things that help and hurt each other at the same time. It's just always trying to keep in mind as I age body mature and career mature, which part to plug into that, because they can also really work against each other. If, if you don't have a little bit of self-awareness, there's definitely something to the idea that I can't remember. I'm trying to think of who said this or how they said it. So I'm going to paraphrase and probably butcher it, but somebody said something once to the point of, um, if you've had a career in the arts and I think it's specifically in acting uh -huh. and you leave, you will always be successful because your motor is used to being switched on. You're used to trying, but suddenly you're like, wait, all I have to do is do this. And then I get that. Oh shit. There's an actual yeah. reciprocity in this. There's a transactional uh, nature of this, yeah. right? And um, and so that makes total sense. And if I'm, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but you were an actor before. You started as an actor, right? I was a theater nerd, and so yeah. that's, a, that's that whole weird resume of theater nerd, literal nerd. Right next to me is a Star Wars and a stack of comic books and a Darth Vader statue. And then I went to do Green Beret yeah. shenanigans, and so. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Like, and it's, it does do that. Like now, if I go work, if I work at a ranch shoveling crap or taking, you know, doing horse tours or horse lessons, I am there for eight hours. I get paid one-to-one -one ratio reciprocity yeah. for my eight hours of time. Yeah. Yeah. So it is kind of a weird relevance. And it's also Hollywood has that own, it has its own spectrum of suck. I'm like, oh, I can actually get paid for my time. Right. You know, God forbid right. I put food on my table, putting eight hours of work in versus driving around in LA for six hours, hustling for an audition and you get nothing out of it other than lost time, money and gas. Right. So it, it's very weird. When did you, what, what came first? The warrior nature of yourself or the artist? Oh, um, that's a brilliant, that's to literally the first time I've been asked that. That's a brilliant question. Huh. Um, I, I was always the kid that lived in disreality. Uh, mm -hmm. you know, every kid played pretend, but I always had this weird, um, I always like had this weird, I, some people would call it maybe, um, you know, like envisioning or a vision board or all that, all those little mm -hmm. Oprah secret nuance crap. But I was just like, I was always in this weird state of fantastical existence in my head. 
So, you know, it might have been just envisioning something or 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 going, oh, this would be cool if, you know, I'll even do it now. If I'm at a stoplight, I'm like, God, that'd be really cool if there were bank robbery right now. <laughs> you know? So I always lived in that thing, but I always yeah. wanted to still be, and I've said this before, and I, it sounds really janky, but I've always wanted to be G.I. Joe. You know, and, 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 and I've always had a friend of mine in college, actually a theater nerd friend of mine. She said, I have this white knight syndrome and I love, it sounds so, uh, I don't know. Sometimes I'm, it feels icky saying it, but I love protecting people. Like I don't wish harm on anybody, Mm -hmm. but I love if, uh, uh, it's, it's, it's maybe it's old fashioned wiring and it's not a, it's not to be sexist, but I love it when a younger female friend of mine, who's like a sister figure or my literal sister or if if that woman needs protection, I cannot wait to swoop in and and end whatever's causing that problem. Yeah. Or yeah. you know, and that obviously is take doesn't take a psychologist to realize why. Like special forces, I mean, literally our motto is to free the oppressed, help those who can't help themselves. So that was always there, and it, I think they always were just battling each other. And then I just found a way to try to do them both because in special forces, some of our jobs was to basically play a character. Sure. And sure. and and that helped. Um, and so, God, that's, I would say I was probably an artist for first, um, to answer the question very long, but they're kind of, um, what I'm picking up and I don't think this is unique. I think maybe sometimes the world doesn't see it this way, but I feel like it's all coming from the same impulse. Maybe the warrior and the artist in your case, at least that it, it, right. That you're kind of, you're, you're deving out the superhero you wanted to be, but it, it composes all these things. Yeah. And it was, it's all of it. And you're just fully actualized. I found a, yeah. I, yeah. That's, I, I will agree with that. I would say the seed was the same and I just found a way to do it in actuality and then also get my fix, so to speak in yeah. um, disreality. And they both, you know, I mean, down to the, down to some other nuances. I mean, I'm not like a X games adrenaline junkie, but I do love the rush of being alive and acting sometimes would do that. Some, you know, especially live theater stuff. Like to me, that was way more like holy crap there's a lot riding on this and that was a fun rush you know and i won't compare that rush to jumping out of a plane but they both had they were in the same category of like you said like they do Mm. feed each other and they definitely are the same seed you know that's probably one of those weird trees when you go out to the park that looked like it got hit by (laughs) lightning yeah 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 Yeah. (laughs) so (laughs) no that make that makes a lot of sense then what was your first let's call it official acting was it in high school? Was it in grade school? When did you get bit by the bug? Um, well, I would say in grade school, I had to do, we had, I went to, uh, I was very fortunate to go to a private school, nothing like uniforms and Catholic church, but, um, we had like Christmas plays. So I mm-hmm. think that's pretty normal, but I definitely loved doing it. And as much as I'm an introvert here, I loved being, I don't want to say the center of attention, but I love being part of the entertainment aspect of the center of attention. And the very first thing to this day, my dad will love, loves the story. My mom loves it too, is, um, it, it, cause again, it was a religious school, so it wasn't exactly, it was a little straight, you know? Yeah. And I remember for Halloween, my mom had, she should be a makeup artist in Hollywood. She, this is pre all the stuff you can buy now. Yeah. She made my face melted like Freddy Krueger. We, we, we had a glove that could have been a prop replica. <laughs> so oh, for Halloween, shit. I went to this Grace Lutheran church in school <laughs> dressed as Freddy Krueger. And anybody knows Freddy Krueger, he's the son of a thousand maniacs parentheses. His mother was raped in a insane asylum. <laughs> so not the best, but I, I always had that bug to be like a little bit more than just playing pretend. And in uh, the Christmas play, 
I played a jester. I had no, I had one line to feed the king, and I, I was like, I, you know, this from that like live theater, like there's no small parts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so I was like, I decided to rig my pants for when I did the cartwheel to like completely drop. You know, and I put on like my dad's boxers so I wouldn't be like too gross or whatever. And I did the cartwheel and my pants dropped, but nobody knew it was going to happen. And you could see all the live, the, the high eight cameras laughing and shaking who was recording it. And the whole, it took forever wow. because everybody thought it was a real kid who just had his pants wow. dropped in front of everybody. So that'd be the childish one, but it, I actually didn't in high school. Um, my dad, to his credit, was very much good about like, do what you want with your life. But I only saw, he was an ER physician and I saw, I only saw academia i only saw that one-to-one -one huh. reciprocity so i was like well high school is to prepare for a sport or a sport i'll play or some sort of degree in college that's going to get me a job so in high school i actually didn't but then in college i was like oh i'm gonna take an elective took a theater class and then that bug i kind of allowed myself to go to that bug i knew it was there right i kind of always consciously put it off so were you an athlete in high school were sports the major yeah, focus then? Played, yeah, okay. sports. I mean, I had like high, high grade, like a, I was an on, on honor roll and all that crap. And uh, um, I was, I played soccer. I was a goalkeeper in soccer. Okay. And uh, I did, I had played soccer since back when I, in my day, we didn't have, we still played on regulation size fields. So right. you could be a little peewee guy trying to defend a hundred yard soccer field and a dang 10 yarder. I don't even remember how the dimensions of a goal. But I've been playing for forever at that position, but I sucked in the field. So the the coach just said, just Bosley, go stand in the goal in the goal. And then that took me, like I played in Europe and like I, I really, so goalkeeping was a big thing, a big chunk of my life. I played year round and for MVP teams. And, um, but I knew. And this, was, was this in high school that you were playing this in was Europe? in high school. Yeah. This was in Holy high crap. school. Wow. In the summer I went to like this. It sounds cool. It's cool. I played for this all-star team that was from, you know, picked from from the States to play in the summer in, in Europe and Holland. And so it was cool, but I had, I knew I wasn't like, for some reason, through some passive pseudo motivation from my, my dad, I was like, I'm going to college to go to school. So I didn't look at colleges that had a soccer program or any other programs. So it just kind of wasn't going to be there. And, and uh, what did you, that. really, why? Uh, in retrospect, college was a waste of time. <laughs> like, I mean, I don't dis, I don't knock college. I, I want to finish because I have probably enough credits for a PhD and I just hate not finishing something I started. But I mean, we all can speak on, I mean, we can micro the hell out of that conversation about like the trades. Those are the jobs, especially yeah. after COVID, you know, what yeah. was truly revealed to be needed. And those are the jobs I get more value out of, you know, I mean, like mm, my sister, yeah. she needed to go to her college degree for her degree. My dad obviously needed college to be a doctor, but you know, I mean, I remember even like other green berets trying to transition to agency jobs yeah. that had to have a degree yeah. and they didn't care what it was. <laughs> there was zero reciprocity, but they had to have a degree, stupid. you know, know, and that stuff is, so that's stupid. So now I look back and go, God, I, I didn't do good in college because I was so distracted by this shiny new life. So I wish I would have had a sport to like focus on. So like gotcha. I kind of just a big yeah. mistake I make in life is always I run it at a sprint, not a not a my pace yep. is always a sprint, not a not a jog. I'm bad at that metaphor, that sprint yeah. not a marathon or life's a marathon, not a sprint. Yeah. I go give myself a heart attack <laughs> in every avenue. So yeah, sports would have slowed me down. Yeah. No, that that makes a lot of sense. What did you think you were gonna do? When you went to college, what was your major? What, what you, how did you I was pre med? Like, okay, so you were going that pre -med, way. Pre med, yeah. I was like, I'm going to medical school. And uh, 
I, I wasn't a partier. That's what's worse is all my friends that partied and do all the do all the college life. They're the ones that finished yeah. the degree. I just remember watching a lot of like Spider Man, <laughs> and I don't remember many good classes, but not because of drugs or alcohol. I just was I I didn't. I was there because I was supposed to be, not because yeah. I wanted to be. Yeah. You know? So I really wish I would have joined the military right out of high school. You know, that would have woke me up. I I completely empathize with that. That makes a ton of sense to me. Um, yeah. yeah, and and yeah, that's a whole other discussion on the on the value of college and and why that's, <laughs> that's such a knee jerk response podcast. to go there. It really is. Yeah. Uh, but but definitely, I I can completely see that. You take the acting class though. What are the second and third order effects of taking that acting class? Did something start happening? Was yeah. it just psychological that happened for you, or did you start taking steps? I started when I first took like my first one. I was like, "Oh, this is a nice way to kind of get my fill." But I kind of was still like, "I'm here to be in pre med, even though I'm yeah. poor in academic world." And I beat that horse to death for almost four years before I dropped out of. I I, I got an amazing scholarship for my academics. My parents helped, and I had been saving money for college since like sixth grade mowing lawns. So I had it kind of broke into thirds and by that by the end of my four years i was out of the money my grades were just absolute dog crap and i was like i gotta drop out and i'm gonna be a personal trainer and then i was like in the real world and then i was like oh i'm gonna go try and find an agency and that was just, i was trying to do so much survival at that time it kind of took a dump on me took that year off working all those jobs and then the final acting thing was when i actually went back to my idaho college and got in-state tuition and I was like, I'm still going to be practical. So then I went sports medicine and I took an occasional theater class here and there. But then just finally I auditioned for a show there um, and I started double majoring in theater. And that first audition and that first I landed lead, thank God. That's where I was like, I didn't have a plan, but I was like, F it. I'm only going to focus on this. I took theater 101 like three times just because I liked it. Wow. And I had no, like, I took so many redundant theater classes. <sighs> Because I just wanted to keep taking it. I was like, I don't yeah. care. I'm not even going to get a degree. I'm going to exhaust all my finances, wow. all of my scholarships, and just take something I enjoy. Like I abandoned getting the degree. I just took it almost like a, almost like a, almost like a, like a scene study college. class or something. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. That's yeah. Just beat it to death, even though it was, you know, Idaho State University. So that was where the bug hit. And my plan was just to keep taking them. I didn't know what I was going to do with it, sadly, which was, it's not how I'm wired. I'm more like <laughs> plan and go, plan and go. So, so this was the one aspect of your life that you were being very free form with and yeah, just kind of yeah. take it one step yeah. at a time. And wow. It, it lasted, uh, it's pretty stereotypical, but it lasted till 9 11 and I stayed strong. Like I was in a theater program, auditioned for all the shows. I, if I did, wasn't in the show, I was on set, set design and set and crew and, you know, the builds and the lighting and all that. Like any aspect of the plays we were putting up, I was trying to be in. I didn't sign up for theater history classes, like all the classes he's supposed to take to get the degree. <laughs> right. I only signed up for performance and construction stuff. And yeah. then 9-11 happened. I stayed strong for like probably another year, maybe two. And then finally, I was like, I have to do this. I'm I'm going to be too old. And I always knew if I did that side of the world, the military world, I knew I'd want to do something in the special operations. And I then I switched to black and white. Here's what you do. You do this. Got you. This, Got this, you. This. Okay. So I, I paused it. I want to get into that obviously a bunch, but before I do, I, I just want to fully dev out the acting piece. Heck yeah. Heck yeah. What was, what about acting appealed to you when you, when you first dove in that pool, what was it that turned you on? Have you ever stopped and analyzed what it was at the time? I, like, I have an answer now and 
and it's it's canned but it's because i have almost developed it as my like mission statement to remind myself (laughs) but my answer now is like i want to give people a sense of escape from wherever they need a sense of escape from whether they need escape to get motivated escape to get depressed escape from whatever and i love that aspect of performance whether it's live or movies or whatever um but at the time there was a i haven't i haven't ever thought about it at the time why i did it i i just i enjoyed if i was to think back at where my headspace was at the time i would say i enjoyed getting lost in playing pretend like that same childish release of inhibition child like if you watch a kid play pretend in the in the sandbox or whatever if you have kids there's no inhibitions they're not overthinking it they're not thinking about cell phone bills they're not thinking about the problems of the world and so selfishly that's what i got out of it is i i'm a very obviously i'm coked out on like caffeine right now but i'm very i don't think i have adhd i'm not going to be one of those self-diagnosers but i'm i love going a million miles an hour everything and this was my to beat that metaphor to death this was my adderall this brought Mm. me my laser focus on this one thing and that one thing was highly rewarding i don't think i was trying to escape for myself or some weird depressing Mm -hmm. therapy thing Mm -hmm. Um, but i definitely did enjoy just being lost as you know it's a very cliche in the moment and it was the only thing that allowed me to live in the moment, even to this day. I mean, what well, we're talking yeah. I'm very much in genuineness, but I'm thinking like 3,000 things. Right. But when right. I'm acting, right. if, if I can actually turn the Jeff off, I love who I am, but the Jeff's, the Jeffisms that make Jeff not the most ideal Jeff in my eyes, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. they turn yeah. off and I provide something for somebody else. I get something out of it. So the time it just allowed me to just not kind of just release and just finally yeah. relax because I, I am artistic, but I know the part of me that's not artistic is a billion percent the antithesis of art right. and relax and calm and find your spirit and your love and nature and all that. Right. So right. this was that one place where I allowed it to actually happen. And, and it provided me that. And at the time, it just, it was the first time I leaned into it and just went for it. And, and that allowed me to go, oh God, I'm doing what I want. Forget the degree, forget the, what I get out of it. And you hadn't been you hadn't had any of that even in sports that same degree of focus i think it had that same the sports gave me that okay um like that's a brilliant example or a brilliant comparison it was definitely there it had that same performance high yeah they're, they're like athletes get i don't I, jumping out of a plane being in a firefight there's something that that has that common denominator in those things great example where yeah there is a something where you unless you don't like the thing you're doing right you're obviously right, going right. to think of five other things at the same time right. but yeah sports gave me that but i was it was never the same like i love at sports i love doing stuff athletic um but it it just didn't tap into it for some reason i don't know what yeah. happened to me as a child being raised by hmm. a great physician my mom is arts you know she can draw she's an amazing artist but they never really forced it on me. So I think I genuinely just watched way too much TV. Like <laughs> genuinely at the root of it, I think I watched way yeah. too, too much TV, way too many movies. And I was like, oh, that's what I want to do. You know, my dad, since he wasn't a sports guy, we weren't going to games all the time. And so I just passively picked up on like, oh, I want to do that. You know, and I happen to like athletics. When you now are diving into theater and taking classes over and over, did you find yourself gravitating towards certain or were you open to anything? Like, what did you find your niche was? In my more immature days, younger with more hair and, and more, uh, what do they call it? The ingenue? 
<laughs> I, I definitely was ego acting. I, I definitely look back with a little bit of shame. I know and that's the one thing I hate about this world is, is, is purely aesthetic yeah. at the end of the day. But because we're not talking about our NASCAR, there's a sense of, there's an accidental sense of like, you arrogant asshole, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so I say a lot of this with a little bit of reservation, but like, I know I don't look like Danny DeVito. So I know I'm not going to get cast as the small wiener sidekick. You know, I just know that. But in in college, for sure, I definitely was like, I'm the ingenue. I must be the lead. And I I, I wasn't, I, I hope my friends can say I didn't have that air about me, but I assumed I was going to get the lead. So if I didn't get the lead, I was like, mother, how dare they? I was like, I am the lead. That's to this funny. day, one of my best friends, it was a small de department. So there wasn't a lot of types. And since it's an academic department, yeah. they're going to do work with what they got. Right. I right. definitely know, love them all. Me and my one of my best friends to this day, his name is Chris. We were the two, I'll use the word, ingenue actors in the whole right. department. And right. Son of a bitch. If he got the role, I was like, I hate being your friend. <laughs> so at the time, I leaned to those just because I was like, I like being first in everything. And for some reason, I translated being the first, the biggest or the lead or the main character as first place. So That's I'm interesting. Highly competitive wow. in the artistic space. Yeah. Uh, I hate not getting roles and I look at it competitively. Like this silly Reacher thing was a fan <laughs> film I made to get the Reacher show audition. And I want to watch it because I'm a fan of the books. But to me, I look at it like I lost the playoffs. I'm not going to go watch the, the right. championship game. Right. I'm way right. too bitter and competitive. So that's the long answer to is I, I, I led, I went to the lead stuff. I definitely focused on that. That's really interesting. That's a, I've, I've never um, thought of it quite that way. And that makes a ton of sense. Did you find yourself at all drawn? How easy was it for you to fall into character or did you feel like the character was there to support you? If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent does knowing what I know now and having experienced what I have, I would say I was being Jeff with just a little bit of nuance. Sure. So to me, I would look back and go, I was, that was kind of possibly poor acting. Like if I get cast as a green Bray or a Navy seal or a SWAT cop, I'm not, there's not a lot of stretch there, right, like right, present day. Right. I'll try to find some nuance if it's there, but I'm not going to be some like pompous steel. Right. I'm not going to make up some weird Nicholas Cage cork just to be right. Weird. Right. But at the time, I think I was just more me. I was very virgin in my experience. And I was kind of just me falling into a character who happened to be a lot of Jeff already. And so it wasn't like a stretch, if you will. That makes sense. Yep. You know, like if I played one of my favorite plays, it was called Born Yesterday, and it was back where men were for doors and slicked hairs and, and great, you know, dressed good. So Jeff doesn't know what that's like, but I, I was the lead in the show. I was the love interest. I was the ingenue. And I kind of extrapolated enough that I was, but it was still a lot of Jeff. But mm. now as the time's gone, I actually, I relish the ones that are anti-Jeff, you know, because those actually force you to act and force you to grab your Jeffisms and try to figure out how to plan them into the non-Jeffism characters. And so, but yeah, at the time I, I probably just fell into the role. Sure. I, sure. Sure. <laughs> no, I mean, and, and, and I mean, why wouldn't you? Of course. Yeah. yeah. And you yeah. know, like the biggest one and, and two, the ones I got the most high was from was like, I played the dentist in little shop of horrors and that's not the ingenue lead, but he still stole the show because he yeah. was larger than life. So there was still a little bit of ego. Jeff was like, I'm still the larger than one character. <laughs> but I mean, I, I definitely, it wasn't, it was, I, that was an example where I was like, I realized I had to fall into that character because I couldn't be Jeff as yeah. that character because that was so far fetched. That was so against 
Jeff. I, I don't walk around yeah. a sadomasochistic dentist. <laughs> they grew my, they grew my hair out like my beard, like some WWF wrestler. You know, I was very oh, not funny. Jeff. And yeah, so yeah, yeah. At the time, I was like, I this to me, I just looked at it like another lead role. But now I'm like, those are the fun as hell ones, you know, like playing who you aren't. Well, yeah, for sure. It, what turned you on when you were up there? What What did you live for? Was it getting a laugh? Was it connecting with another actor on stage? What What was it that turned you on? In the I moment? would say uh, it's it's a cop out, but a little of everything. I hate musicals, <laughs> although I've been in a lot, <laughs> so I didn't get a rush from singing. I was stressed out of my goddamn mind during the musicals, especially like Little Shop of Horrors. So I didn't get a rush from that, but I got a rush like in that case, like just being as over the top as possible. And life here, as you know, it's it's instant feedback, yeah. you know. And so yeah. there is something that it's everybody says it, but there's a reason everybody says it, whether they're stand-up comics or theater performers, there's nothing like a live performance. Yeah. You actually get instant feedback, good or bad, you know. <laughs> so you take it or leave it. So I got a that's what I got out of it. Definitely the laughs and all that. But since I did get cast as the lead on new characters, it's not like the audience is gonna be you're not going to hear a lot because right. there's no play right. that really has, you know, Don Draper or saying or doing anything that right. makes the audience go gasp. <laughs> right. right. It's not an interactive role. Yeah. So those ones where I, I really looked into and I really got the connection from the other people a lot. Like, um, and to a, one of my theater professors, biggest credits, um, he was the one that broke me from a lot of my isms to find that connection F being the ingenue, screw, screw mm. what you want, you know, and mm. actually just you know, the amount of times I heard him go, Jeff, just F and act, you know, he goes, just stop. Cause he knew he already saw the overthinking Jeff jacked out of his mind guy. And so he helped me see those connections. And in a lot of those smaller black box theater plays we did, you yeah. had no choice, but to be connected with the other, the actor, or the actress. And so those ones were awesome because I, I lived for when you went off the stage between scenes, and like you had to kind of snap out of it because you were so, so cliche, but so yeah. in a moment, yeah. I did. Those moments were awesome because that means I wasn't actually thinking. And yeah. I was like, uh, she's a great friend. She was in a lot of the plays with me. Her name's Nova. Her and I did this horrendous, violent play. And, and I just remember, I didn't like enjoy that part of it, but it was, we were so both into it because it was so intense and out of our realm of who huh. we were as people that we had to, we kind of had to kind of brainwash ourselves into it because it's not like that's in my wheelhouse. Yeah. Like I can get lost yeah, playing yeah, a green yeah. beret any day of the week because sure. I can just go on instinct. Right. And so those ones that are out of our wheelhouse. You actually, it, ironically, you can actually get overthinking and into it more. So like I lived for those moments. If I wasn't getting the laughs, I lived for the ones where I was just, Holy crap. I can't believe I just did that. Or I, I like, what is it? The, uh, the Will Ferrell moment, like, uh, I don't know what just happened. I blacked out. <laughs> <laughs> so those are the moments yeah. I lived for, you know, it was yeah. really cool. What do you, looking back now, can you identify technically what your bad habits were? Oh yeah. Um, overthinking for sure. Um, okay. like it's great to, I think any actor should ask all of this stuff. Anybody that's trained in any technique or whatever you want to call it. You know, they're always asking why or what's the motivation or X, Y, and Z. But I would overthink it to the point where yeah. it, it, I was, tr I would try to de art the art huh. as, as far as overthinking. Yeah. I would Jeff it up. And, and this professor's name was Rod Hansen, still is Rod Hansen. And he would see that overthinking and he'd see me in one play 
I would already be studying the lines for the next play I got cast in because I wanted that stuff memorized cold. And he's like, you will act because it's theaters, you know, you almost no matter how good you are at memorizing in theater, it's good because of rehearsals. You almost you'll inherently slowly accidentally memorize. Right. I would be sitting there memorizing line at a time, line at wow. time to the entire play because I was trying to scientific apply a scientific method to an artistic endeavor. Wow. So that kind of isn't some all encapsulating bad habit. Like I had some Jeffism quirks, like <laughs> it's like you're giving away all my tells, but like, I have a like stoic, like there's a thing I would always do. And I, I look at it now and I'll like some stoic Joey from friends acting. <laughs> where I look away, like, like, like fart acting. Like I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of and yeah. And yeah. there's something I'll always do where like, if Jeff is stern, if his character's stern and thinking, he's always clenching his teeth and you see his jaw muscles pop. I'm not aware I do it, but it's yeah. definitely is yeah, 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 yeah. where, yeah. where it's like, oh, Jeff's being Jeff. <laughs> you know, it's so I would science the art is what probably my that makes is. a ton of sense. And and I, I mean, I, I'm jumping ahead because I know you studied at the Strasbourg uh, yeah. Institute, and I know Lee Strasbourg was you know a big fan of the idea that whatever eighty percent of acting is relaxation. Did you yeah. ever have how how big was relaxation for you on stage? Was that a thing? Because being an athlete, being a type A, being somebody that's thinking a lot, yeah, you know, I can see that for at least in my experience, that would be something that would tighten me up, and that I'd be on stage and a little too rigid. But how much of an issue was that for you, though? It was because I was younger and not overthinking the life I was living in the real world. Um, it wasn't as much of a conflict. I was huh. still who I am now, but that was. Hold on. I just turned 45. So that was yeah. many years ago when I was 18, 19. Well, when I went, when I was in theater in college at ISU, I was in my twenties. Um, so at the time I hadn't let cell phone bills or debt or just the yeah. crap of life build up. So I was, I was a little, the, the relaxation was allowed to win a little easier. Mm. Whereas now, which, so I could find that athlete folks or that athlete woosa. It was very similar. You know, I could actually turn it off as needed. Um, you know, cause in college nowadays, it probably is different. Like back in my day, I didn't have a cell phone or I didn't have a cell right. phone bill, you know? Right. So my, my stresses were a little bit less. Right. Um, but now, which is part of the reason, ironically, Strasburg was so great. And so hard for me was I've, I, as Jeff and I've allowed disproportionately and proportionally allowed the things I outside of in life, cell phone bills, debts or whatever, I allow that stuff to really weigh me down and do the opposite of relax me i'm very poor at it completely very admittedly um dysfunctionally poor at it so that's why Strasbourg and their very high focus on relaxation was great but hard as hell for me because i've created a monster of disrelaxation mm. yeah, <laughs> so yeah, yeah. I, I and i so i found i did need it because i've allowed all these bad habits or bad ways of handling my boohoos to affect like, you know, they always say, and I always hated it. We're like, oh, casting director can tell if you're stressed or if you're begging for the role, if you've had a bad day. Right. right. And I was like, I've, I've been shot at and been relaxed. I can do this, <laughs> you know, but there is something you can tell when somebody's had a, a crappy morning or, yeah. and so I, I'd like to think I can hide some of that crap and bury it and get put on a pretty good facade. So maybe I am in like when I'm going to buy gas and we're talking to somebody to counter at, a, at an electronic store, I can probably put a pretty good facade. Yeah. Yeah. But if I'm expected to perform for X amount of time, that's where Strasbourg really helped go. You need to, you can't be this 
amped or stressed or yeah. unrelaxed and expect to do, even if you're playing a very similar jacked up, energetic, stressed character, like that might help in that case. But even then you have to like, you have to kind of neutralize yourself and get a clean slate. Yeah. Yeah. Hard as hell. I knew it was needed. I know it's needed. I know I need it now. Um, and it was, it was, it is, and was super critical, especially cause I was in LA as you know, if you're not an LA type, just waking yeah. up and going outside your apartment, you're automatically like, Oh God, I'm at a nine, you know, <laughs> I, mean, I haven't gotten my car yet. So yeah. it, it yeah. took a lot. And I was definitely, I think the instructors there, not cause I'm awesome or like amazing, but I definitely, I'm sure they talked behind my back at lunch breaks and stuff about God, Jeff Fuzzy. That guy just needs to re effing relax. Wow. Like there was yeah, exercises. Yeah. I just, I just, uh, cause I was there. I'm like, I'm paying for this. I, I don't care about my ego anymore. Ironically, I'm going to, I'm not going to like just swallow. I'm going to like debate or not put up a fight as like, I refuse to do this. But yeah. I, I now was asking why. Like, well, they're like, just relax. I'm like, okay, now I get, I get that, but tell me why. Help me learn because I want to figure this out. And, and I would put up a fight because I was like, I'm not just going to, I'm not going to do it because you say to. I'm not. Yeah. Yeah. And that comes sometimes came across as combative and opposite of relaxed. I'm like, no, I'm, I'm great. <laughs> I swear to you, instructor, whoever, I am praying for relaxation. I'm not against it, but I need help. <laughs> you know? It's so funny. Uh, I, I can totally relate to that. And I wonder, yeah, it's so, it's such a weird thing. I, what do you think? Do you think you can, I feel like acting is one of those things that sometimes the harder you work at it, the worse you become. And it's so counterintuitive, especially for people that are used to putting in the work and seeing the rewards. hundred percent. Yeah. I think you're right. Like you can't guys like us and people like us, I think yeah. the harder you crank on a nut on a bolt, <laughs> the tighter it's going to get. It's, it's yeah. like caveman one-to-one results. Uh, and I, I, like I always tell people, I'm like, I would rather break a bone than tear a tendon. Like, you fix it, cast, done. So I'm very much of that. Exactly. That's a beautiful observation. That's I'm very much like, I want to do something. If I work harder at it, it should give me better results. And it's probably like, I'm sure painters or artists, it's not like you can draw harder. Right. You know, right, 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 right. Do it better and harder and more intense. Yeah. So yeah, definitely is something where you can't like there's work like i don't want people like i'm definitely not one that says like oh just let the universe figure you out right right you have to sit down and work hard and memorize the lines or or memorize you know especially in theater memorize your your marks sure your uh your your moves but yeah it's it's definitely i'm sure there's people that can pull it off i'm sure like it happens every day of the week especially in film and television you can phone it in right and editors can i would still to this day say editors can pull some crap out of some, like some, you don't have to be good. <laughs> you yeah. Can, yeah. I, I very specifically did a Tyler Perry TV show and I was, I did, wasn't off book. I was so poorly, like embarrassingly out of character, prepared, unprepared. And I was sweating in between takes. I was angry. I'm getting mad. I just vomited the line. They edited it together and it looked completely fine. It wasn't like an Oscar winning performance, but you would have never known it was to this date, the worst day of my wow. life on set. And so like you can work hard and that was a day where it was pure work. There was no artistic relaxation or dropping into character. I was just Jeff trying to muscle through it. Like, like cyber nine cyborg, (laughs) just trying to vomit these lines out in some sort of believable way. That's like an actor's nightmare. What what was going on there to come in like that? That's rough. 
it um i have no cool excuse but like i normally because it's tv shows a lot of times they'll do it as you may you literally those who are listening may or may not know oh sometimes it's in chunks so you don't i i, I want to be memorized because that just may, means i'm a professionally prepared person but if you remember i know my bad habit is to be so memorized word for word it's hard i've memorized it in such a way it's hard to deviate the performance so I kind of find my sweet spot to be like Jeff prepared, but not so Jeff over prepared that you are rigid. Cause I do know, again, I'm not an, I'm a rigid looking dude already. And I was always playing a rigid guy. So I was self-aware to do that. And, um, it shot Tyler Pants, and that, I guess that's a very LA thing to do is what I was told. I didn't know that, but we went, he was shot in Atlanta and he actually pulled me and the two new people on set or on the, for the day for that, that series or that episodes, those episodes, he pulled us aside. He, I lied. I said, I was from Atlanta. He's like, Hey, I just wanted to meet all you guys. It's good to meet you guys. I'm, I'm, I love that you guys are locals because a lot of those LA people, we quit looking at them is because they come here and they're unprepared and they just kind of wing it with their lines. They're not memorized, but we shoot like theater. We shoot the entire scene. And with you guys, you know, he goes, I, I've noticed a lot of Atlanta people they are used to that. We're good for that. So as long as you guys are writing off book, we're good to go. I was like, yeah, that's great, Mr. Perry. And I went back to my little dressing room like, oh, shit, I'm that L.A. guy. <laughs> and I'm just trying to memorize cold as fast as possible because sure as shit, he wasn't lying. They shot the entire wow. scene like the whole for those who don't know where they're listening, like theater. Yeah, you start. And if you the only time you're off is if your character goes off stage, like and that's essentially how he shoots. Whereas most TV shows are like, all right, we're going to shoot on Chris for a while. He's got all his lines. Jeff is going to say his lines. I can literally be looking at my script because they're over my shoulder. And I was counting on that little handicap and he didn't, he had all his cameras set up and he just says, he just goes, go. And I was like, wow, oh, shit. So I didn't have two lines. I, there was no like over the shoulder shots and it's probably worse. Feels worse than it was, or he probably would have fired me. Sure. Sure. <laughs> sure. It was definitely uh, unprepared. Like it was, it, I've never forgotten that. I'll never let it happen again. Yeah. Sure. What did you reach for? Technically? Was there what technique, uh, like, was there technique that you could lean on to help you through that? Or was it all grit? It was grit. It was, it yeah. was, I'm so competitive and self-deprecating. No, we can do near as good a job at it as I can. And that was pure or, uh, self-motivation. It wasn't like, Oh, if this is not the dog, I, I lost, there was no Oprah secret, whatever. There yeah. was nothing. It was just pure rage. And, um, the people could see my, one of them guys since became my buddy, but they could tell that I was like, guys, I'm so sorry. This is unacceptable. And they could tell it wasn't just me going, Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm not prepared. They could tell right. I was livid at myself. And so like, it's cool, man. So they helped a little bit, but, and I don't have a memorization trick. Uh, I still to this day, I don't know how I memorized some of those plays because as you know, like there are some times I was like, I didn't leave stage for like 90 minutes. Yeah. I can't memorize a song right now. Right. <laughs> so right. that was just right. sheer grit. And wow. I had enough prepared and because I ironically, because I kept fucking up, yeah. we kept we had to do it so many times. It was kind of like I got a little mini, a whole bunch of mini rehearsals because he had to start over so many yeah. times that I accidentally got my lines finally right. Uh, but yeah, it shouldn't have taken okay. that long. And and if anybody knows that that's how they shoot soap operas too. Yeah. It's yeah. not rewarding. It's and there's there, there's nobody that can learn lines like a soap actor. That to was their credit. Yeah, no, the they're fucking animals with learning lines. It blows my mind because yeah. yeah, they do it every day. Like those leads that have been there for 30 oh, years. Uh, yeah. That, and I think that might have been 
the soap opera thing came after the Tyler Perry experience for me. And so I was, I was like, ah, I'm ready. I won't have this. Yeah. 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 They do. They, uh, they go in and you shoot it and like, oh, that was good enough out. What soaps were you on? What so, what Uh, soap did you do? One, was it one life to live? Days of our lives. I think it was days of our lives. I played Costas. He was, uh, whoever the main actor is, is he's actually Jennifer Aniston's father. He's been on since the dawn of time. (laughs) Right. I played his little lackey, which was hilarious. And somebody, and this is a funny little backstory and I'm sure you'll appreciate, I know you'll (laughs) appreciate this. I always heard somebody gave me this really crappy gimmick of if you're a side character or whatever, knowing what I know about like behind the scenes and editing and the little bit I've I've gleaned off of friends that do a lot more of the construction of film. If you can't edit a face out, you're going to be in the shot. So it's not like you just lean in and like force yourself in the shot. But I had to put this guy in a chokehold, um, and then the main character, the soap, like had to like yell at him and all this crap. And typically, chokeholds or arm bars, or if you're just like doing the movie chokehold in the uh-huh. back, you're cutting uh-huh. off a little bit. So they could have zoomed in on him and right. just seen my chest. Like they didn't need to see Jeff Bosley. Right. Right. But I did my line right into his ear, <laughs> and then I stayed next to him in this really sexual cheek to cheek way. <laughs> <laughs> that the director loved because it was big giant and i had shaved yeah. clean and i had my hair slicked and I, I looked like this younger weird looking don draper yeah yeah, yeah. but i it, it which was weird to be like a little sensual <laughs> and there's no way they could edit my face out because i was right in his cheek and because they shoot soaps that way they're like oh no no don't do it again since we got our lines right the first time they're like all right next setup and a good friend of mine, she, uh, in, when I went to college in Idaho, she was a huge fan of, I think it was Days of Our Lives. She's been a fan of it since like she was in like high school. That's how long it's been on. And she texted me. She goes, so I saw you on, on the soap opera. It was kind of hard to miss. And no disrespect to gay stuff. But she goes, kind of hard to miss the new gay Jeff I didn't know was gay. Because <laughs> you really loved that man in that shot. And I mean, it is, it is a little erotic. That's so hilarious. Like, and it worked. I was like, I'll oh, be damned. That shit works. You just <laughs> lean in and they're like, this is who I'm comfortable to. We're not going to change his direction. This is awkward. That, that's like the <laughs> next step from, uh, do you ever see uh, extras? Ricky Gervais's extras. Exactly. When he's yeah. leaning into the shots all the time as an extra. <laughs> that's like the next level of like trying to squeeze yourself <laughs> yep. into the shot. Yep. Fucking uh, yeah, love exactly that. Exactly what it is. Oh, extras is right on. It's fucking it's hilarious cool. show. It's yeah. Spot on. Yeah. So, you know, like, um, no, I was going to say, um, do you know about Sterling Hayden? Do you I know who that is? Should. No. So he he was the most people know him as the cop in Godfather, the original Godfather that gets okay. shot in the chest, you know, punches Michael Corleone is he in a the big mouth. Character actor, like yeah. So okay. he was he I was a huge like well huge is the wrong word because by definition he was a he was a B actor. Um, he, okay. he did a lot of B movies. He was in Stanley. He starred in Stanley Kubrick's first movie, The Killing, which is okay. a great flick. Um, but he did like a lot of noir stuff in the fifties and all that big strapping dude. Well, <clears throat> I talk about him all the time cause I'm, I'm endlessly fascinated with Sterling Hayden. So he was a Marine. He got attached to OSS during world war two and ended up fighting against the communists in Yugoslavia. So he fought <laughs> with the communists against the Nazis. So he became friends with Tito. There's, um, there's like these fascinating interviews he did I, with I Tom Snyder yeah. in the early seventies yeah. where he talks about going to Tito's funeral and all that. Anyway, he famously said, um, you know, he went against the Nazi U-boats and everything. Like he sank Nazi U-boats and everything in the Mediterranean. And he's like, you know, that was a rush. It didn't totally freak me out. He's like, the only thing that's really ever freaked me out in life. And this is my words, not his. He didn't mm-hmm. use the word freaked. He had a much better, classier <laughs> word for that. But but he was, I can't remember. But 
Um, but he said, uh, but the one thing that's always frozen me in life is the close up. And the second that that camera's right in my face, I become wooden. And he said, I've always hated my career as an actor. And it's why I never could be a big star because I freeze on the close up. And when Robert Altman cast him in the long goodbye in 1971, 73, something like that, um, because Altman shot, you know, across a parking lot. Yeah, exactly. Suddenly Sterling Hayden was freed up and he plays this Ernest Hemingway like character and it's fucking phenomenal. Really? Because this virtuoso performance, it's a great, it's a great movie and he's phenomenal in it, but it's, but you look at him and then you look at his earlier movies and you're like, holy shit, he really was good. He was just always frozen up because of the camera. So I say that to say, because I think he's just such a, I mean, such a great template, I think for so many accomplished military personnel that would aspire to go into acting or that are actors to look at and look at that juxtaposition, especially when we're talking about relaxation. And it's like, yeah. it's such a different animal. And I, I'm saying all this in form of a, in hopes of a finding a question in here. But I mean, to you, like when you hear stuff like that, how much of that do you relate to? Is there a sense of like, you're on set and you're going, motherfucker, I'm a combat veteran, former <laughs> SF, fucking firefighter, you know, decorated all this stuff. Why the fuck can I not get this? Like, you know, why, what is kicking my ass about this scene? Why is this so harder why can i not let go and just fall into this character is there are there moments of that do you find that with yourself sometimes yeah i absolutely do and i think a big part of it very assuming a lot of things about me and uh people like me is we come from a world um where ego and brute and strength and all that whether you're an athlete but i'll just focus on my background that gets you results and or sometimes for a lot of people that's kind of their default mechanism mm-hmm. is to just bow up and and tough ram through it and i think the like you said the close-up intimacy literally or metaphorically can't, it doesn't care it doesn't care how big your muscles are how big your awesome tattoos are how many kills you have how how badass you are and and i think a lot of people I'm not knocking anybody, but if you take that was for me and like in our on our team on our ODA, we did a lot of things. Um, it sounds super fancy, but it's not. It's called ASO. It's called Advanced Special Operations. ASO, yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So it's a lot of for lay people. By no means, since you know what ASO is, you know I'm saying this to be simple. We called it Jason Bourne teams. So it was a little bit. It was a lot of pretense, like intel gathering, not you know, like not spy stuff, but for the sake of very the Jetbergs. For those yes. that don't know that, it, yeah, yes, they should know a little bit. Yeah, hopefully. you're not pretending to be, uh, you're basically not pretending to be like, I wasn't like trying to be a reporter, but I was also just doing everything possible <laughs> to not look like a green beret. Right. So I was really good at that stuff. And I, ironically, I think because of theater, because I didn't care, but like our poor, uh, weapons specialist, you know, he turned into Terminator. Like he's like, I am not an army soldier. No, I am here buying coffee, <laughs> you know? And I was just like, I, I'd, I'd buy cigarettes. I'd act like a student down in Colorado and, I think because I watched it happen on the flip side is it's, it's really weird to be a performance or a life. Like if people have to do speeches or live talk, I'm not saying I was gifted with like a godlike ease into that stuff, but I, I fortunately for whatever part path I had in college and then the theater or whatever, I could see it from the two sides because I inherently felt that pain of that weapon specialist because that's inherently who I was. I wanted to bow up. 
if I just flex harder or shoot harder or push harder, I could normally, I, that's my instinct. Cause I like it. It's much easier, but for whatever reason, I could actually relax and see, do that close up and turn off whatever ism that was. And, and I think that definitely is, it's ironically self-defeating because like you said, a lot of that, these types and myself included want to just, like you said, brute through it. Yeah. And, and it, it'd be to me, I'm not Mr. Martial artist, but to me, it'd be like, I don't actually, I'm, I'm starting MMA again and I'm older and way more broken. I care way more about technique now. So it'd be like me trying to go fight a very high, high end skilled jujitsu guy that's half my size. He'll still kick my ass yeah. because it's about yeah. ease and inertia and redirection. And that's all acting is in those close ups and all that theater shenanigans, whatever you want to call it. Like it doesn't give a shit how strong you yeah, are, how tough yeah. you are, how badass you are. And I'll find myself even on set or on an audition or something. I, I'm not going to lie. I'm not like this perfect Buddhist Yoda here, but I'll be at auditions going, Mother, I used to do this and I can't get this God dang non-speaking part that doesn't have a name on IMDb. And I'm just like, mother, you know, and so I'll yeah, find myself yeah. in those pity parties because of that. And it sucks because it's, it's, I, I don't know if that's a competitive driver, sometimes unhealthy because it's weird to have lived a life and then live a life that doesn't, isn't exactly, it's almost like when people had businesses back in the Mad Men days, obviously it sounds like I'm obsessed with Don Draper and Mad Men, but those generations, those guys came yeah. back from war, put yeah. on a suit and yeah. put on suits and started very executive-esque businesses. And for some reason that worked that they were like, oh, you were in the war? come work for us at this ad agency where they, they, there was a value to it yeah, and not like they expected it. And that's where, you know, the greatest generation, because they didn't expect, I expect to be an ad exec because I wasn't right. Sure. But it worked. And I think there is a weird, it's probably an ego issue where we're like that. And some people you can see it. I've actually seen it in the vet community with a hands with handful of experiences where there is an expectation of like, you should favor me as a vet. Right. And, and it, but they also suck as an actor huh. and it is right. weird to, there is a weird, I used to be vibe yeah. uh, to go into something that's so doesn't give a shit. You know, yeah. this job, yeah. that close up doesn't care if you're an elite surgeon or it doesn't right. care if you're one of the most famous bodybuilders in the world. Obviously, if you're a famous musician or an athlete, they'll take it. Cause they're like, Oh, we can market and package that. Right. right. But get rid of all that, the business side of it those close-ups to use your, your story, they don't care who you are yeah. and the human ego, mine especially doesn't, can't compute that. You're like, wait, I'm 45. I've earned, I've done stuff that doesn't, yeah. that, doesn't that mean anything to you? And like, no, yeah. you, you're giving a speech or you're getting this close up for your example and doesn't care what you are. And it's, it's really castrating. It's a very neutering feeling. You know, it, it, it really is shuts you the F down. Well, and, and it's, it, you've definitely picked a line of work, not even just acting writ large but specifically to be in la as an actor where you are playing it feels uh, as much as your resume can help you you're also you, you the tectonic plates of what the values were that got you that resume are completely different you're on a completely different terrain yeah. right yeah and and it's and it's a it, it i can see that being um disorienting or discouraging at times when you show up in an audition this was this was my la experience that i always found jarring 
but you'd show up an audition and there's 40 of you and you're like, yeah. fuck, I hear, I thought I was this super unique person. <laughs> Motherfucker. You guys are all me. Do yep. you have that? Does yeah. that happen for you? It, um, I I've used that example constantly. I'd be like, again, I know I'm not Danny DeVito, but I know I'm not one of a kind, but also being six foot six, that did narrow it. Sometimes there weren't right. a lot of six foot six guys. Um, like if they're specifically asking for six foot six guys, because I, they didn't ask, I don't tell. Like if they don't, if they, I, I know this show or this, whatever, probably doesn't want the actor to have tattoos, but they didn't ask. So I'm hiding them. And that's their problem for not having said it. If they're asking for some sidekick that for some reason, my headshot tricks them into letting me audition mm-hmm. and I show up and I'm a foot and a half taller, 10% body fat less and way more muscles. That's their fault for not saying we're not going to take these, these physical right. features. Right. So assuming all those things aside, yeah, you're right. The hallway would be full of clones. And then that's where that slippery slope of like, I guarantee none of these guys were green beret. That's right. got to help. Right. And it doesn't help. You know, it, it, you are whatever you perform that day. I mean, that's the one thing as much as I love having control of every aspect possible. And ironically, if I know I can't control something, like if I don't have legs and I can't dunk a basketball to me, I can compute that. Right. I can figure that out in my head. Like it's, it's completely out of my control. And so then as I, I would look at those things where like, like you said, it's a hallway of clones, Like you realize you're nothing. So it could be. And then I, as I got to meet casting directors, like one casting director goes, Oh God, that guy just reminded me of my ex-boyfriend. I, I can't stand his performance because of that. And that made me realize over the years, I'd see these things. I'm like, there's a million things outside of what I walk in for with that. I can control. I can brute force through whatever I can Jeff, yeah. I can yeah. Jeff, but outside of that, there's a bajillion things out of my control. So all these guys could be clones. One could have schmoozed better. One, I could have schmoozed too much. I, I, they might not like blue eyes. I you know. So like I count on those things in those clone scenarios, you know, and it happens a lot because especially when it's a narrower casting, especially if they want six, like I, the ones I get a lot are if the ones that I have a huge chance in are the ones where they say stuff like must be six, five or taller. That really narrows the pool right. because I do know from experience, not being presumptuous, a lot of those six foot six big guys typically probably haven't hung out in theater and Strasburg and all mm-hmm. that stuff. Mm-hmm. So I have that. I, I, I know it's a slippery slope where I'm like, well, I still deserve it because I'm six foot six and I'm a trained method actor. They don't give, it, they don't give a <laughs> right. shit. They might right. see that and go, Oh good. This guy isn't just a WWF wrestler who can't say right. a sentence together. Right. But it gets end, you in the room. It, yeah. yeah. It helps. It, hopefully yeah. it helps. Um, so that does make me feel better in those clone scenarios. Um, but like you said, they don't care. And at the end of the day, there could be, I mean, I'll, I, I use this as an example. It sounds like I'm a poor loser, which I am, but like that Reacher TV show, the fact that I got an audition, yeah, it's supposed to make me feel great and it is awesome, but they're only like, for the, they wanted a new face. So that opened up a little bit more. You didn't have to be a famous six foot six right. actor. So that opened it up and I was like, holy shit, I got a chance. But they picked a guy, he could have acted better. So I'm not dismissing, maybe my right. acting sucked. So let's dismiss skill, but like he's got a little bit more of a resume. He's a known asset in a couple TV shows. Of course, even he, he could be a shitty actor as a producer. I would cast that guy because he's going to bring in at the end of right. the day. It's all about their money. Right. So right. that helps me tolerate those clone scenarios is like, yeah, this sucks. We're clones, but maybe my confidence in like, well, I was a Green Beret. You weren't. Maybe that yeah. with the character. Maybe yeah. that won't. Or maybe I got to brain dump it. But yeah, I absolutely find myself going, I guarantee this guy didn't do this and this and that. You know, oh, look at this pretty boy. I guarantee he was born in 
the valley. <laughs> right, 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 right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, you know, and and that is a hundred percent true. I, I love the juxtaposition between ego and the results, and and yeah. finding that shit sometimes one doesn't equate to the other. It sucks. What do you think that your military career, and, and especially going back to what you said about um, you know, ASOT work and all that, do you think it's helped you be a better actor? Uh, it has now in my earlier years it i got caught up in the i probably admittedly i probably got caught up in the i'm owed this okay. i might not have been aware okay. of it yeah but i definitely felt like there was a more of an, an i it was it was a definitely subconscious i hope um that it was i i deserve this because not okay. because i'm a vet and my friends have died it was just more like there was some sort of un intangible passive subconscious i deserve this because i've worked really hard why wouldn't this work for me right and right the industry didn't care it did you know yeah people like generically speaking there are people that valued it don't get me wrong so at the early on i would say it hurt me because i it it was it became like mm. you said so jarring because i was like you come up here going all oh, about this is gonna be easy now that i thought making it would be easy i still haven't quote unquote made it but it was the jar like going from an 11 getting shot down to a zero yeah. Yeah. That was a big fall. Now as the time's gone and I've learned the ins and outs and I've helped maybe be whatever bit of me I can be better, it's helped that jar from a go from an, like maybe an 11 to a 7. Mm-hmm. So it's less jarring. Mm-hmm. So now it doesn't hurt as much as far as the ego. But as far as because, like I said, with all those things you don't have control over, you need to have something unique out of that room of clones. I right. gotta have something. Right. So I, I that military career thing could be the thing where they're glancing at a resume. If they do a quick social media scan, it could also hurt me. They could go, sure, oh, he, sure. He's a, he's a gun guy. Bye. Let me so, ask. You, let me throw it to you in a different way. Also, yeah. What What about your actual tech? Your actual skill set as an mm-hmm. actor? And I'm thinking, like, for me, just to give a frame of reference of, because I'm not asking this question well. Yeah. So I was acting and then I went in the military and I remember I think it was at AIT or something. And I saw, a, I, I was waiting to get blood drawn or something. And they had a <laughs> men of honor, that De Niro movie with Cuba Gooding jr. Oh yeah. Playing yeah, the on submarine there. Or whatever. Oh my God. And I'm sitting there watching art. it and I was like, I've never hated De Niro so much in my life. I was like, this thing fucking sucks. I was like, I don't know anybody that I'm sitting there looking around a room of uniforms and, and everything. And I'm like, Nobody fucking talks like this in the military. Yeah. Like this is the script sucks. I don't buy any of the acting and all this. And I feel like when I came out of um that environment, I could be a better actor because n- not just for military roles, but uh-huh. but just in general, I was like just age, experience, all the rest of it made my understanding of the human experience better oh, and made yeah, me a better yeah. actor. Do you see that as well? Yes. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. I get what you're going for sure. The military stuff. Yeah. I get to see, like, I can now see it through critical eyes of, I'm not the guy that goes, Oh, black Hawk down. That's not how that was. Right. 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 That's not what you're saying. And I completely agree. That is an aspect of like realistic performances, but yeah, like at least in my career, I wasn't just, I'm not knocking mortarmen. I don't know. I've never been one, but I wasn't just a mortar guy. So many hundred yards away, launching mortars and never interacting with humans. Right. So I think because I joined later, as far as my military career, I had academia kind of, whether I did it well or not, I had lived in that world. Right. Um, and then I also went to the military world, but I wasn't an officer based, even despite on my age and my 
how late I joined. So I was still a grunt in the world I was in. And at least in my part of the military, I had to read humans. I mean, we literally would, um, what's the (laughs) the correct words, tactically interview assets and you had to read people. I'm not like an amazing like lie detector, but we <laughs> right. had to interact with humans. Yeah. I was just telling Betty we were watching um, 12 Strong, not the best Green Beret movie, but it gave a good template of, of what we did. Right. And I would tell her how we'd have to meet with, she's like, was that accurate? I'm like, yeah, we actually had to meet with warlords. They would right. play games. And if they were, they'd be mad if we were meeting with them armed. They'd be like, what, you don't trust us? So yes, absolutely. I have to read people, whether I do it right or not. If I had to read a warlord that's pissed that I'm holding my sidearm, but then I got to sit in his palace, I had to read the shit out of that guy. Yeah, right. <laughs> and and then right. I've, it's created, like you said, it's a, an awareness of the human condition because I will say not in an elitist sense, but at least my experience in the military, it was so much an 11 in such a unique, narrow experience that there's no way that I can't, like, that is extremely unique. So I can definitely take that and go, I guarantee this is un- this can't be uh, done anywhere else. Yeah. So applying that to other, um, if you can take this giant thing, it's going to be real easy to apply it to a day. And I can definitely take reading a warlord while I'm unarmed and he's armed and read a guy at the gas station. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a very yeah. easy transition, like you said. And so it has absolutely helped me at least see those things, not like critiquing a military movie. Like that's not right, what right, saying. right. That's not what right. I'm saying, but it helps me realize through like almost like we were talking before we hit record about what a post or a reel or something you post could look like on other people's eyes. Right. It helps me see the other, another perspective, not so much like I get everybody's point of view, but I'd be like from a performance standpoint, I'm like, Oh, I know how pissed I am when somebody assumes this is how a green beret acts or a naval Mm, officer acts. Yep. So because of that template of awareness, I can go, okay, how pissed would I be if I'm a doctor and I act, Jeff acts the way I assume a doctor acts. I'd be pissed. So it allows me to see that human condition, at least have at least a, a count to 10 pause before I mm. do the stereotypes. Yeah. Yeah. Whether, yeah. Whether performance or just enjoying art. Like I love watching movies. And so I try yeah. to give it that, that beat of am I being overcritical Jeff or did they maybe do the homework and maybe I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. Uh, maybe yeah, that's yeah. how these people really do act. Right. So right, 100% right. It, it did make me live a world. Whereas I think if somebody was 18 and went to the military, they don't know what it's like to read people in the real world at all. So it actually could be a huge backfire yeah, yeah. because the military is not the real world. Right. But the real world is absolutely not the military. Yes. So it was a nice combo hybrid that I got out of it because of what I did in the military and because I did it later after a college experience. Let's talk about that transition um, going into the military. So when 9-11 happened, what was your response emotionally, psychologically? All the same as probably everybody else, the whole, um, I hate, uh, the hate was there of somebody had the audacity to attack us. And then that was followed up by the, we need to defend ourselves or help those who can't help themselves. But I still at that, when I was, I was at a little age, later age in life where I, it didn't translate to, I must now do something. you know, I didn't mm-hmm. film it right off the bat yeah. Yeah. because I was used to I was kind of getting used. I was in that odd spot of life where I'm like, oh, this is college. I'm going to get a job. Why picket fence? Die. So like running the recruitment office and signing up didn't really register yet, even though I remember back in college in, in Washington, my after high school, I did visit a recruiter a handful of times because I really felt like I, it was drawing me, but I just kept putting it off because of what 
it was, there was just an, it was probably fear, a hundred percent fear because I was used to norm. I was used to comfort. I was used to what was a normal day in the life of my life. And to go like, that's a big release to, of ownership to a thing so much greater than yourself, which and was is this the GI Joe thing. It. Yeah. Was this, were you drunk? Cause it, that was before nine yeah, 11. So was a GI Joe that was drawing you. Was yeah, it that there okay. was something yeah, there was, there was still, there's always been something to do it. Um, I mean, ever since I was a kid, I wanted to be in the army, but yeah. I was also always watching a lot of movies. Yeah. So they were kind of yeah. battling each other. But so every once in a while I'd go poke that bear and I'm like, and I think genuinely the fear and, and, and hesitation and intimidation made me go, I'm going to go back to playing pretend <laughs> in college. You know, it was just a little bit safer, yeah. but the nine yeah. 11 was kind of like, for lack of better terms, the straw that broke camels back for me. I was like, I don't care how I, I just know like this is this is beyond yeah. and i was getting older and i was just like I, I i like i hate regret and it's such a cliche but regret sucks so bad i'm so good at regret i didn't want to add to it because i'm, I'm going to be good at finding more regret later I'm, <laughs> if yeah, i yeah. prevent a regret that was it and, but i did admittedly it drug i drug it out for maybe about a year it wasn't like the next day for me and that just that regret was just chewing at my brain and i just i just couldn't take it anymore so i just felt finally like i hate regret I hate bad people doing bad things and depend no matter what you believe somebody did bad somewhere in the world. There's people that need help from bigger guys, you know, um, beliefs in war and combat and bureaucracy. Yeah. That stuff's all horrible, but I do know there's bad people doing bad things to good people. And luckily I could do that. Maybe, you know, in spite of what may or may not have prompted it, I don't care. It gave me a chance to do that. I didn't avenge nine 11. I guarantee that Jeff Bosley did not avenge 9-11, no matter what branch of right. theory that exists. Uh, but I know I did good stuff. And so that that was the tipping point was to just finally do that. So did you go in as an 18 X-ray contract? Yeah. yeah. Okay. That's that was the one I don't want to say regret, but my best friend, uh, he was in the military forever. He was a hundred and first in Iraq Hassan, and he was always like kind of like my go-to for advice. Mm. And that was one of his big ones. He's like, don't be, don't do the x-ray thing. You're, <laughs> you're going to, you're going to yeah. miss a lot of what the general infantry has. And he's, he was right. He's hundred percent right. But I didn't have, I personally didn't think at the time I didn't think it. And I still don't, I didn't have the shelf life to do five or 10 years of infantry going in at just sub 30 already. Um, yeah. I, I, I was very confident. I think I am, I do have some regrets still, but I still think the lack of traditional 11 bravo 18 delta path i still think i com compensated by just age maturity life experience and whatever mm -hmm. jeff could bring mm -hmm. to the table i mean there's a hundred percent times where like our first i'll never forget our very first literal mission after we landed it was almost the night we landed it was the night we landed like we landed got our bags ungrabbed our gear because they said top load all your body armor because we're probably gonna do something the minute you land and I was like, oh my God, it's finally happening. Yeah. And our, our team sergeant goes, all right, go check the, the BFT, go make sure it's booted up. And me and the other new guy, he was a young 18 X-ray who he was, a, he's an amazing soldier. He's still in, I think, but he exuded the kind of too young and mature, immature guy to get into the X-ray program. He was kind of like, he was good, but he was the example of why people were hesitant about the program. Mm -hmm. I was his counterpart by career but I was almost like 10 years older than the guy. Right. And he's like, right. you and, um, I don't say his name, but you and so-and-so go check the BFT. And we confidently, just like any green beret, we're like, got it. We walked out and we're like, what the fuck is a BFT? He's like, I don't know. And we're like, um, he pointed to the gun truck. So maybe it's on the gun trucks. 
and and to his credit he's a he's a sketchy little dude he, he basically he basically reverse psychology psyops some people as he's walking and he's like i won't do him justice but the gist of it was he'd saw some other people like ah we're gonna get a bft those stupid pieces of crap and then he got people to converse about it and then we finally were able to decipher it, it was the laptop the blue force yeah yeah yeah. laptop in the gun truck but they're like yeah i hate when that laptop closes when we hit bumps we're like okay it's a laptop <laughs> <laughs> that was the moment i remember explicitly going this is what jared was talking about this is the shit they don't teach you in special forces school because it's kind of I guess that's right yeah, yeah no way through the pipeline a, do they ever talk about a bft i guess the, or right. the normal yeah. stuff like inventory yeah and all yeah that. That's yeah. the one thing I don't, I, I can't, I won't speak ill of it, but I, I, I think it was always been a thing for like cadre and, and long, long time green berets. The pipeline is obviously immaculate at what it does, but it also doesn't train you for team life. Like my first day in the team room, I was more lost than I was the whole Q course. Like huh. I'm a mature, relatively yeah. smart 18 Delta. And I was just lost in the sauce. It's not like I want to like, you know, team life 101, but right. it definitely was weird. You know, they're like asking me stuff. And like, so there was a lot of deficiencies that probably were normal for a typically uh, right. uh, 11 Bravo. So there were definitely days where I was like, oh, what have I done? I don't even know what I'm talking about. You know, I was like, let me do 18 Delta stuff. <laughs> right. Let me do that. Right. Just let me right, do that. Right, right. So right. yeah, that's the long answer to I, I went in the x-ray program. Um. <laughs> I guess I, I, this is such an obvious question, but I guess it bears asking. I mean, how did it feel when, when you're suddenly now you've done more than dip your toe in the water, you've plunged all the way in when you're actually in SFAS or, or when you're in the queue or when you actually get your beret, was there a moment, uh, how did that feel? Um, how did that feel to do it, to go, holy shit, I'm actually doing it. This thing that I've thought about, that's been kind of this yeah. amorphous you know, concept. Holy shit. This is actually it. Yeah. Um, yeah. What was the sense? What was the psychological, emotional takeaway from that? It, um, <laughs> it, it was the weirdest thing. Cause I look back, I don't know if you do the same thing, but I look back, like, even if I'm referencing like the 90 minutes on stage, how, like, how the hell did I memorize that? <laughs> how did I do these right. things? And that's just memorizing lines on a stage playing pretend. And I look back and especially the Delta program being seven times as long or whatever. Right. And obviously the physical blah, blah, blah. And I look back and if somebody's put a gun to my mother's head and said, you got to do it again. I'm like, I would do it mentally. I would give it my best. But I was like, I don't know how in retrospect I did that. Um, and at the time, it's, I wasn't like an amazing badass. I, I, I did what I did and I think I did it quite well. But there was such a just look down and keep trudging along that I was almost unaware the whole time. Obviously it's so long. It's like I was in a, in a trance the whole time, but it, because it was so long and because there was so much almost dissonance to the reality of the present, everything mm -hmm. like I was like, oh, I'm in school and this sucks, or I'm in, you know, our little pseudo ranger school, this sucks. So when it happened, it was the first time I felt like I remember Seer School and the day we donned the Green Beret, those were the two where like that inertia of holy fuck, I can't I was aware of what I'd done and I was aware of the moment of what like, what I'd achieved in the moment. And those were the two. Uh you actually got me speechless for the first time in this whole podcast. <laughs> those were the two where I allowed that that inertia hit me and I actually felt a, a, 
to this day still a sense of pride and and an exact compliment of a, a sense of uh accomplishment beyond anything i'd ever ever said and to me those those pride and accomplishment still aren't words that that even do it justice but those were the ones where those that's how i felt was just and i think nowadays pride especially in some other communities pride has a almost a negative connotation like arrogance and this was the purest form of pride for me and the purest form of accomplishment um i didn't give a shit about paperwork the beret obviously has a symbol so i gave it right Right. Somebody will kill me to get that beret out of my hands. Um, but there was a sense, that sense of pride and accomplishment were like, yeah, <laughs> at the time and now, but at the time, like I, I was trying to act, still act badass, but in, in un, unstopping tears, like it was just in, impossible to stop. Yeah. So there was a sense of like doing something so grandiose. And with that pride and accomplishment came a, a heightened awareness of something bigger than me. Like it was, it was very surreal for me to be so, so acutely aware of myself and that pride and accomplishment, but have that be juxtaposed within this giant global aspect that was just beyond my recognition. And I can say that now easier because we are now living in such isolated, self-centered lives, good or bad. And that, that was, so you can see stuff better from the outside in looking back, reminiscing nostalgia. And I think that was a big part of it that I might, the global part of the time I might not have been aware of, like the bigger than myself thing for sure. Um, yeah, that's how I felt. <laughs> yeah, no, that make that makes a ton of sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, did it feel like your life would never go back to the way it was? Did you ever think you would go back to acting? Was this now going to be a career? You talked about not having a long shelf life to do infantry, maybe yeah. beforehand. But I mean, going in later, did you think, no, this is it, and and you've made an irrevocable choice? I I did. I just kind of assumed that was the trajectory. It was just like, oh, this is it. Um, it was it was almost embarrassingly childishly ignorant about like, and here's what I'll do when I retire. Here's what I'm going to do in huh. years, or here's what I just was like, this is it. I, for uh, rare for me, I was kind of data timing it. Um, but yeah, I definitely wasn't like, okay. And then at a certain time I'm going to retire and I'm going to give that acting thing a try. Um, I just figured, okay, finally you got a job that has a career insurance, you know, retire, die, take care of your family. At the time I was married, I was like, okay, I got it. Everything's checked. Just keep going until you're, you're, you're told to stop basically. And then, so yeah, I had no plans on stopping that. Um, I definitely didn't think I'd go back and then, um, a giant, career not ending but a career make a decision injury made me made me finally go oh so here's the thing that says now you do need to make a decision and that's where um to a handful of people's credit particularly some people i have in a tattoo they this is after i had now at this point divorced and everything and it was just me and a dog mm -hmm. and they knew how i was wired they knew jeff was very much like i am control of my universe i need structure and design they said this is the least amount of uh strings attached to you you'll ever have in your life you kind of got to reset you have this giant injury that you could go one way or the other with you could stay in you could go out with a clean, clear conscience um and they could go and then they said and i still stayed strong like just that side of my brain that said i must have a normal job i still that's why i still transitioned into firefighting. i'm like nope still got to do a normal thing you know i got to be less green bray but i still need a job that pays the paychecks and i have yeah. insurance yeah and it but it slowly just finally fizzled away after a divorce and it was just me and a dog and they just said, no, you, you, we know you wanted to try this the same as the green beret thing. Like 
it took 9-11 and even I drug that out to finally go, I will regret right. this forever if I don't try. Right. You know, it took the injury. It took us fight playing along with playing Mr. Firefighter for a minute. And I was like, I'm going to regret not trying this stupid go to LA scenario if I don't try. And because I didn't have a wife and kids and all these things that would make that a nightmare, you know, that was where I was like, okay, now because of these things that happened, I will change that trajectory. But had those weird stack up of things never happened, as far as I know, I would have retired as a Green Beret. Like I had no, I had no reason not to. Was it scratching every itch you had to be in <laughs> SF or, 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 or was there still a part of you that was going, boy, I cut off, you know, it's like I'm doing this all with one arm. Like, well, there's a part of me that's still left in acting or in the theater. It was, uh, it scratched, I would say most of them. Um, I think the whole chase in the green beret, the 18 Delta, like the Delta courses and then ha- being a green beret, those, at least those itches were so distracting. Mm-hmm. That I couldn't think yeah. of other stuff. Yeah. So I yeah. was just, yeah, it was like, I wasn't just working a nine to five at a tire shop. So I didn't really have a chance to go, Ooh, what if, where ironically now, because acting is more downtime than acting time. <laughs> right. I look right. back on the green Beret stuff going, Oh man, I remember, you know, it, 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 I feel like, I don't want to say unfulfilled, but you definitely have that itch. You're like, ah, did I get them all scratched? Yeah. You know? And so at the time it was just, it was just a sheer distraction. Um, sure. I always wished even more easier to say in retrospect, but at the time I, I always had wished I joined like just one step left earlier, whereas a little bit more of the cowboy days. Um, you know, again, I don't think anybody, anybody that is a true warmonger, they're doing it for the wrong reasons. But I, I felt like at the start of everything, especially in special forces, we could do a lot more and where there was, a, there was less bureaucracy and hamstringing. So I was always, that was the thing, I, the itch I didn't get filled. I was like, I felt like I wish I would have been one generation sooner. Yeah. So that, that itch has always been there. It's still to this day. Same with that like, contracting. You know, the contractors now are just like gay guards. Yeah. There's an occasional yeah. 18 Delta one that comes up, um, but like, it's not like triple frontier, you know? No, <laughs> right, right. Those, right. those, 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 those the, again, I don't 2006 know. contractor contracts. Yeah. Oh my Lord. Especially yeah, 18 yeah, yeah. Delta contracts yeah. were like, yeah. yeah I, so that's why I wish everything was just a little to the left. That's the one itch that never got scratched is I thought that would have set me up pretty good for uh, satisfaction and just life. When you went into firefighting then, what was that transition like? You know, I mean, do you see it as kind of a halfway house between that and going, getting back to acting or was it, or were you able to find some of the same fulfillment that you'd had? It was for me, I needed, uh, I couldn't conceive going back to, and I always use a tire store as a joke because it was my first job as that 15 was working at a tire store. So I'm not knocking it. Actually, I did that in college in the summers. I couldn't conceive going from Green Beret to anything quote unquote less, not in a higher than thou, but I knew I couldn't go back to working at the tire store. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I also was freaking the F out about reliable paychecks and reliable insurance, you know, the real world crap. And uh, so it's not even an exaggeration. I was still going to our team room, doing team room crap, clearing posts and all that stuff. But I was also like doing Ferris Bueller, like, shenanigans going to the fire academy going oh, i have a dentist appointment and i'd spend the day at the fire academy doing our fire school and or doing the yes. fire test so i it, it it satisfied that need to be like comfort like you know paycheck and all that it seemed 
it, it fulfilled the camaraderie, like the, the ODA team dynamic, right. because it's, you know, four to six people right. on a shift, 24 hours, which was always good because I'm not a great giant team player. Like I can do it, but it's not my preference is to be in a, ironically, considering the industry I'd love to be in. I'm not used to, I, I like small, intimate gatherings, if you will. Yeah. Um, but it satisfied that anybody that's, you would know this and anybody listening knows that you all, all, uh, politics aside you can't be a cop nowadays and be actually be a cop so i knew i wasn't gonna go into law enforcement again i'm not a warmonger but i also knew i couldn't be a, a cop that i would want to be as far mm, as just mm -hmm. the way i mm -hmm. knew enough people that were in law enforcement and i was like i i think the jeff the jeff i know will get more out of being a firefighter than a cop um because it takes a special breed and all due respect to be a cop 100 if they had an x-ray program for swat i probably <laughs> would have done that yeah, like that would be yeah. the thing I'd, I'd kill to do like SWAT or like, uh, like LA has a special enforcement bureau. It's kind of like their version of SWAT. Yeah. So I definitely would have loved that, but I didn't have the beat the street in me. I didn't have the, I didn't have it in me to be the new guy at late thirties yet again. Uh, which is why firefighting was a little hard. Uh, but firefighting is a little bit more camaraderie based and less like militant based. Yeah. Um, so it gave me what I needed, but it wasn't enough because anybody who knows firefighting is like 90% EMS. Yeah. And ironically, as much as I love medicine, I'm really good at it. And I'm a great bedside manner. I was burned the F out on EMS. Like I was just tired of it. And that was good, cool 18 Delta medicine. Right. Right. All due respect. I, I didn't have it in me to do homeless EMS. I didn't have it with 80 year old grandma every three day calls. And they even tell you in the fire Academy, it's not like I'm an idiot. Like it's yeah, their right. fault. they said, if you're here to be a firefighter, leave. Yeah. You're going to be an EMT that occasionally fights a fire. Yeah. And, right. and I, so I kind of like, it was, it was, a, it, it wasn't a panic move. It was a, I loved the job, but because it was so much EMS, because it did have a little bit of a panic move decision making process, because I was like, oh, I can't have an overlap. I can't work at a tire store. I need a job. It just all happened so fast that it allowed me again, the circumstances lined up that allowed me to be distracted uh, long enough. But finally I was like, I, I'm missing this other regret. And I, and, and the, the lack of fulfillment, um, as a firefighter, because like I said, it was all EMS. Like if it was all fighting fires, which sucks because that means a lot of people are. Yeah. Right. 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 That would be, it's not like Chicago in the seventies. Yeah. Right. Right. So it, 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 it gave me what I needed. Uh, but it definitely, the writing was on the wall that it wasn't going to be enough. Like I didn't have it in me to muscle through it. S starting over is the effing, the effing new guy. It, it, it you don't have the resilience and yeah. I, I don't think that's a you're a human piece of crap like resilience is easy i, I would say easier when you're younger <laughs> yeah. you know yeah. physical mental spiritual it's just easier and so those ingredients being new having it be a little bit of a panic move having a, some regret building up about not trying that big thing to la was enough to just like made me go no i'm good you know um and i don't to this day i don't regret it but it definitely again i wish everything was to the left by one Cause there are days when I'm like hard on myself. I'm in my mid forties. I'm like, had I stayed in medical school, I'd be earning six uh, figures now. Yeah. And I could still be an unemployed actor, <laughs> <laughs> you know, the hours so still not, work. Yeah. Right, yeah. Right, so right, it's right. not like anything. So like there are days since I did everything at a sprint, I, I am, when I am hard on myself, I go, those things didn't pay off doing it practical. Like so I said, I'd go yeah. practical risk yeah. and then I'll go practical yeah. risk, practical risk. And it's just like, I kind of needed to shit or get off the pot and that I could see that the older we get, the more I was like life and me and those around me and my spirit, we, I don't have the tolerance to do that crap anymore. You know, 
I'm all for the memes like, Hey, there's, you know, you could be 80 and still living your life. I'm like, yeah, right, right. I don't want to set myself up for misery either. Right. So, right. Firefighting was hard. Like every time I see an engine go by, even now, uh, I would love to be on a truck because I hate fighting fires. I love going in just with tools and rescue stuff. But again, that's after 10 years, you know, right. and I didn't right. have it in me to get, because again, I started too late. I didn't have yeah. it in me to be, I couldn't go straight to SWAT. I couldn't go straight to being a truckie, straight to being a truckie. I knew that. I wouldn't expect that high yeah. and offer to right. be a new guy. Right. Being the new guy around a bunch, like one guy turned 21 in the academy. He was my peer. You know, I just, so I got treated. Yeah. I did, I had to do the dishes and all these things. And that was where I was like, I used to be a freaking Green Beret. Don't make yeah. me. God, that was, yeah. got, that got me more there than in Hollywood. That whole, I, I allowed myself to let that piss me off way more. You know, the, the new guy games, which I get, I did it to younger guys younger than me, but I want, there was still a part of me that wanted to pass, you know, and I would push it. I, I wore my long tab on my, my bunker gear. <laughs> like, you can't have your own tabs on there. Like I want to rip it off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, that seems incredibly human and relatable that you, yeah. it, like, it's one thing in acting where you're not going to, if you're not going to having a great resume doesn't necessarily translate to getting the acting job fine, but there are certain walks of life where you're like, motherfucker, I, I paid the admission price already. I, I want a little bit of respect, right? Perfect way to put it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's a hundred percent. It is. And that that's where it just boils down to ego and your own psychology of how you handle it. And I'm, and admittedly I, I'm poor at it. I wasn't a walking motivational meme. Like, <laughs> take, take what they give you. I, I had big time poo poo lip about it. I was really, I was kind of a dick to myself. I was professional outwardly, I think, but I allowed it to yeah. blacken, blacken my spirit a little bit for sure. Cause a hundred percent. Let's talk about, um, one of the hashtags you use all the time and you've oh, been shit. pretty, pretty, uh, vocal and transparent about this, which I find fascinating. Good. Um, consider quitting. I was worried that's the one you're going to ask. About. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so, I mean, I, I have a ton of respect for the fact that you're willing to talk about that because I think it's a conversation that does need to happen. I think it needs to happen. I mean, maybe in your case, but certainly there's a lot of people, I think in the arts and certainly in acting yeah. that probably should. Um, yeah. But I'm interested, especially with your background, um, the walls that you've seen coming up uh, that would make you consider that. That to me is, it seems like it's worth talking about. Where did that first come from? Um, I was, it definitely came from a place of bitter, jaded, competitive, sore loserness. You know, it didn't come yeah. from a place completely of, I would say, health. Sure. Um, but it sprouted, it, it, it ebbs and flows. Don't get me wrong. Uh, it depends on, you know, the day and the experiences, <laughs> but it definitely, it, when it ebbs into the, more healthy and like you said the conversations that need to happen whether with yourself in your mind or with others it ebbs into that healthier space and it kind of started it might have been i think the the covid lockdown era definitely had a lot of made us all no matter what no matter what everybody had some come to jesus at some yeah. level yeah and i think that was happening for me there um and the just enough of the pissy whiny. I wasn't getting roles no matter how hard I work, even though I knew that's how the system was, but it didn't make me, it didn't negate how frustrated I was with not getting what I want, like a little baby. <laughs> but then it got to the point where I was letting regret fuel me. But then I, I, I would have at least enough of a healthy step back where I would look at like, uh, I, I probably could credit Mike Rowe, the, the mm. dirty jobs guy, mm -hmm. um, with 
helping just timing or something I listened to of his that made me take that potentially horrendous negative space I was going to and transition into more of a healthy conversation. And one of his podcasts, he was talking about how his mother wanted to be a, like a published author. I'm butchering it, but it was something like his mother wanted to be a published author and she tried for something like 70, the number was absurd, like 70 years or something to get published. And she got published and her quote unquote dream came true. And he paused in his, in, in this telling of the story. And he says, and in that case, and he giggled and he laughing, he wasn't being hard on her. He was being straight up honest. He goes, I would have actually told that person to quit. She spent her whole life not getting what she wanted and got it. And she's almost 80. And, and, and she, she, I would tell that person to quit. That's insane. You know, I'm butchering. He was much more eloquent. Yeah. He was much, no, more, no, no. He was much yeah. more Mike Rowe about it. But <laughs> it made me really think of, of it, it. There is, it's the fuel tank of this consider quitting car, if you will. Definitely is. It does have an octane boost built from jadedness and 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 bitter competition and almost a babyish. I don't get what I want. That the stuff I said, I I'm aware of. Of like, we're used to like, if I do this, I get a green beret. That I'm wired that way. I, I yeah. don't know how to, I, I would love to unwire it. I'm out for whatever motivational means people think will help. But until that happens, I, that I have that octane boost of jaded competitive I yeah. hate losing. Yeah. And that his comment, the life that was going on made me go, I'm kind of sick or maybe, you know, it was definitely, uh, spoke volumes as to my psyche about, you know, I'm the audience of these things that were pissing me off. So it's how I chose to respond to them. I'm not unaware of that, but I kind of was starting to get a little pissed off about the whole, particularly in the acting industry, for sure. The Hollywood mm-hmm. chase your dreams industry. I would find myself going, there's a difference between, uh, realistic and I use the word realistic loosely because obviously if you'd only chased realistic dreams, nobody, the plane right. wouldn't have been invented, right. et cetera. So there is that sweet spot of absurd, like chase your dreams at all costs, but I'm not going to go tell a quadruple amputee to be a green beret. Like right. Right. I'm not being an asshole. I'm just being facts. Right. Um, and so like, I see, I really felt through my like kind of jaded hypersensitive eyes that especially in the Hollywood acting industry and in the entertainment industry, that it's, it deviates too much to the point of you're setting people to get, this is where I will swear, you're setting people to get fucked. And I got really sick of seeing that because I fell for it. And this, again, this comes from a place of a little anger and jadedness, but I was falling for it. And I, I, I hate, I just wanted it to shift. I wanted almost an asterisk to all those happy motivational bullcrap things where they're like, mm. but I'm yeah. a fluke. Like when I hear, and I'm not. I'll hear people on like the Tonight Show are like, "Oh, I was struggling for four years." I'm like, "I would kill to struggle for four years." I was in LA for right. eight, and right. you know, and I always wanted to be a little bit more honest about where, you know, like I, I think shortly after I started doing that, consider quitting hashtag. I posted something that said, like, I went OCD and did the math because I keep track of all my auditions. I I timed out the amount of times I've auditioned. And did an average about how long an audition takes. I added driving. It was absurd. And then I did the amount of time I've actually been on screen uh, was the math was just this yeah. horrendously depressing. Right. So the amount, of, and again, I'm not all doing it for the check, but we all got to put food on our table. Right. So I, right. I said something like for this amount of time, I've done this. And this is the amount of time I got paid to do my job. And I go, people need to know that I'm not saying everybody should quit or like chase their dreams blindly. But there needs to be a comma or a parenthetical citation of like, but 
this is a fluke. But The Rock is one of 600,000 or whatever wannabe actors. So that came from a, almost a weird, jaded, protective thing of like, I'm tired of the potential misleading thing. Yeah. You know, like there's this one, yeah. <laughs> this is so juvenile. There's this one account on Twitter that's, I know their intent is not malice. I, I, I'm not unaware of that, but they're always like, your next audition could be right around the corner. Five years, just hold out. I'm like, okay, now what about the people that are 10 years? Where's your motivational meme for that? You know, I'm not trying to shit on them or, or like completely ruin it and always come from a place of naysaying, which I know it could come across that. Right. I know I, right. I definitely, I do find myself when I go back, like you said, in retro, retro look at a post, I'm like, man, you whiny little puppy. <laughs> <laughs> you know? No, but, but it's, it it's from, yeah, it comes from a place of that people need, like, I always think I envision this really good friend of mine from Colorado where protect under my wing thing. I would want her to know the, what I'll start calling the Jeff parentheses that chase your dreams. As long as it takes your next big role could be right around the corner, but I still want there to be the, but be aware that, that the, the, the four year example they're mentioning, like John Krasinski was talking about how yeah. He, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he, struggling for four years in New York for before the office. I was like, yeah, yeah, but four years is a joke compared to I I before I moved out. I mean, you could I could round up close to a decade, friend, some friends longer, and not all the ones are the the office. I'm like, those are great to motivate, but if they can create this blind, slightly delusional motivation, like I'm all for dilute diluted motivation. That's how I think I've done some of the most amazing things I've done. But to be consistently beaten with it, it can possibly brainwash somebody into the micro mother story 86 years go by like i'm at this weird sweet spot there's some i call it a midlife crisis where i'm like what? at 45 you know you start to look at stuff pandemic post pandemic where you're like god if i was a doctor i could be retiring soon yeah and i'd be right where i'm at now possibly so i i'm not saying nobody should that's where that came from is like consider quitting i'm not saying quit, yeah yeah but have that conversation with yourself 18 19 you you have a cell phone bill and a couple you know, debts, knock yourself silly, but regret sucks. You know, like, I don't even know if you've seen it. Like you see, I posted it sometimes that little chart right there. Oh, oh yeah. that thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's literally each box is a week of your life. And it's very depressing when you look at it that way. Like you're like, Oh, I'm half dead, <laughs> you know? And that's where that regret really sucks is, is that. And so that's where that came from is fueled by jaded, pissy i didn't get what i want or i don't get what i want but also like i would want somebody to tell me this stuff like like you and especially in the hollywood entertainment story we're, we're it's it's purely fueled on luck and dreams like there's no equation nobody you could be born like the only guarantee i would say is possibly being the child of somebody famous right but beyond that right there's no formula which it's the only industry and i would say this defiantly there's no this is one of the few industries that doesn't have like you can't go how to make a career in Hollywood handbook. Like there isn't. There's tips and tricks, but this entire industry is built on tips and tricks and nuance and hopes and dreams. And I think that it just sucks to regret. And that's why I just like that Mike Rowe, he has two great stories about that. And it and it really makes you go, what matters? And especially if you if if <laughs> not on a whole nother thing, but Hollywood's getting icky. The movies are kind of, and I'm a thing. This is a fan, not a bitter, bitter, jaded wannabe actor. The movies are starting to suck, so it's really weird. I, I there's days where I'm like, I just want to brainwash myself from wanting to do this because I'm not, I'm not out, <clears throat> I'm not 
Mel Gibson who can go make his own thing despite he I can't go make the passion of the Christ in spite of what the industry says. I'm dependent on that checkbox Marvel make you know make the money industry. So it's like you know that's where the word consider came in and uh, yeah. you know, consider these things. You know, like somebody that went through selection, if they went three times and didn't get picked, like at what point, you know, it's really right. dark, but when you're right. laying there on your right. deathbed, regret sucks. And if you're like, oh, I tried seven times and I still didn't quit. Yeah, but that was 10 years of your life. You know, what do you, so it's, it's, it's a little dark and somber, but that's where that No, I mean, from. listen, it's, it's a, it's a point of view that I think is really worth exploring. Yeah. Um, because, uh, look, I, I, I try not to make these at all about me, but I'm sorry. You're just touching oh, all these yeah. third rails in my mind, but that was my dad. My, my, my oh. dad, you know, wrote for, he was working on the great American novel his whole life. Oh, okay. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, uh, when he died, I took care of him the last 10 months of his life. Mm. Um, which was by far the hardest year of my life. And when he died, his entire book was under my bed because I had a little fold out bed and oh it was you know it had nothing God. under there and it was in all these boxes and it was oh boxes God. going back to 1964 oh my god and it was all there and with rejection letters from agents rejection letters from publishers and all that and he'd been working on it for all those years oh. and the thing is is and then i read it i mean i read iterations of it probably once every seven to ten years i would read yeah. the latest iteration of it and the problem is it dated it got dated it would oh, have been yeah. really awesome if he had put it out in 1969 I never or maybe 1971. But it was like, uh, by the time he passed in 2011, 2012, um, it was like, yeah, yeah. You, you, um, you're, you're telling a story that should have been told 30, 40 years earlier. And it was, and, but you, but you kept beating that dead horse. You just yeah. kept, you, you kept going after it. And I kept saying to him, dad, you got these other stories. Why don't you write, focus on them, try to write those. And he, uh, and he was like, well, I'll get to them. I'll get to them, but I got to get this one done first. And he couldn't sit through a movie like our whole, he never took a vacation my whole life. And he couldn't sit through a movie. Um, like we'd watch a VHS, you know, weren't movies from yeah. blockbuster and all that grown up. He couldn't sit through it. He have to go back to his study and just start writing, working back on his novel nonstop. Oh, God. So yeah, he was his whole life. I mean, his whole life was, was that his mind. And you know, what was really, I've God, never, dang. I've never said this on air, but what was really fucked up is, um, when he died or you know the last he was he was in, incapacitated his body was shutting down and mm -hmm. medicaid wouldn't cover him because they said there's nothing medically wrong with him his just body's not working but there's nothing medically wrong we can't identify a disease and it was somebody at one point said well your dad is becoming his book oh my god right and it was one of those things that wow. i'm not i'm not saying this to i'll never, to, I'll never to shock no, but I, i'll never it, forget that I'll but it, but that. to your point about consider quitting it's like it's genuinely it, applicable yeah it, it, and 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 to look and to go you know what's the better part of valor here what's the wiser course and not to give up your dreams necessarily but to also be open and receptive to where things are guiding you and to what opportunities you should yeah. be looking at and you know when and um yeah it's it's an interesting Interesting discussion. How often do you consider quitting? It sounds like a cheesy, like canned late night show answer, but daily. Uh, there's uh, uh, daily. I, I I wouldn't even say I consider quitting daily. I consider I, I I think to myself daily. I wish I could brainwash or turn whatever that is off huh. because it, it happened for for whatever reason. I can't because I I think about 
I'll, you know, like, okay, I'll have to shoot an email to my agent, my manager, I'm done. Don't submit me anymore. I'm done. And then I go, uh, straight up, get on local job network, USA jobs or whatever, and just get something to pay the bills. But for some reason there's whatever that switch is. And it's not even ego. Cause I've quit things before. I'm not like some, again, I'm not a walking meme of first form, Mr. Motivational CEO guy, right. but like I've quit, I quit college. I've quit mo- multiple martial arts. <laughs> like I've quit things before. And this one is dragging out or dragging on or continuing, you know, however you want to say it, the longest of all things. So is that a come to Jesus, like uh, evaluate and assess, so, so, but it does, it is daily for sure. And I think about not to put micro on a Jesus pedestal. There's actually something he said in that same headspace that I actually don't agree with that I wish I could in that same, I mm-hmm. wish I could de- uh, brainwash myself of whatever this, this, this brain cancer part of my brain is. <laughs> he says something like, uh, quit looking for your dream job. Quit I'm bastardizing again, but it's something along the lines of like, quit looking for your dream job. Quit looking for the job that makes you happy every minute of the day. Those jobs don't exist. He goes, what matters? And this is the part I'm, I'm not good at is the value you take away from the, the value of your life. Those, I mean, he is very huggy and lovey dovey, but he's, he's not wrong. I just can't spiritually make that switch. Cause the minute I read that, I was like, yeah, but I don't know if I could, it's on me. This is where I'm aware it's on me is to go. If I'm spending eight hours a job, I hate that's up to me to hate it. It's not like they're whipping me. You know, it's up to me if I'm working at a gas station, hating it. That's all attitude, perception, yeah, positive yeah. mental attitude, all that bull crap yeah. that I agree with, but I don't have for whatever reason, the wiring it to switch. So it is daily where I go, I wish I could just go down the street or grab a job at a ranch. I'm ranch is probably an exception. Cause I love working on ranches, but go grab a job. I quote unquote would hate just to pay the bills because we all need to do that and then find value elsewhere from my nine to five paycheck job. So it's a daily, it's a daily thing. And it's definitely something that's not, I don't have in check. I don't even want to mislead that way. I, it's, it's not something that's yeah. working like a well-oiled machine, but it's, it's daily for sure. This is a weird question. I don't know if it's going to come out right. Do you, do you have value at what is your value as an actor? What what do you bring that is unique as an actor? Because I feel like as an artist, yeah. you know, any artist, whatever the medium, you know, that's always the thing, right? It's it's am I if I'm gonna be used up, if I'm here for a reason and I need to be yeah. used up and spent by the end of my life, am I being used up? What is my value to the yeah. world, to the medium, to the stories that I want to tell, whatever? So what is yours, do you think? My- my God. Um, I would say years ago, I would have said the business answer would be like, I'm hardworking. I'm I, I, wherever I don't have talent, right. I, where, where right. I don't have skill, I have talent, where I don't have talent, I have skill and work ethic, yada, yada. Um, and as it goes on, the little bit of huggy, hippy dippity crap I have on it that I latch on to that I think I would bring is a sense of. Like if I could have all my dreams come true, the way I envision it, the times I do try to do that visualization stuff is, is joy, like sheer, passionate, blind, mm. loyal, kind, childlike, enthusiastic, motivational joy. Mm. And, and where I don't care about the paycheck or, you know, I, I wouldn't move out of this house because I made, I mean, I might, cause why not? <laughs> but like, <laughs> Like, I think as I get older, I look at it that way, where when we see people 
who was I thinking of? God, there was somebody I was watching and I can't remember who it was, but you could just tell. And it's sadly rare, I think, when you see him interviewed. You could tell, I really wish I could remember who it was. This person just loved the shit out of what they did. And it's so rare. And I think that's what I would bring to it, especially in the industry that is so based on black and white, which is why you and I can go on like another 10 hour podcast. On <laughs> in the industries, the movies are crap now. There's, yeah. no, there's yeah. no risk. There's no fun. And that's what I would think I would get, I would bring to the table is, oh, this guy, you could pay me minimum wage and I'd be fine. Like, that's the thing is I think they could see just like a blind He's not thinking about a cell phone bill. He's happy. And that would transcend to all the other bullcrap stuff. All the, oh, he's happy and he's motivated because he's full of joy here. He's motivating other people through his actions. He, he's, his joy got him that job and that job got him help pay for, yeah. you know, send money to this children's charity. Like that joy would just be so encompassing. And I don't think that joy is as chronic as it should be. And I think that's uh, the one thing I, that's the thing I'd bring to it. That's fucking great. But in, which is ironic in spite of, a day, pretty much my day spent in this jaded, angry, competitive thing. <laughs> right. But no, but when I am sense. doing these, like these things, or you know, Betty called me out on it the other day when we were, I was talking on, um, I was nerding out on a on a show, and she goes, "You're just happy as a pig." And she didn't say this, but her she yeah. she's much more eloquent. But she I was basically happy as a pig and shit. I wasn't. Yeah. My metaphor of like I wasn't thinking about my cell phone bills. Yeah. And this whole time we've been talking, this is fun as shit. Yeah. So I think that's that that that's important, but hell if I know how to get it, you know, day in and day out. Totally according to Mike Rowe, that's up that's up to us. <laughs> no matter what we're doing. <laughs> so I mean, let's let's do um let's look at the flip side of that coin. What what's the dream? What's the dream role? What's the dream project? What's the dream aspect of the business? What what do you want to see? in your career. And, and I mean, it can be as pie in the sky as you'd like it, or as, yeah. as, as much as it's like, Hey, I should, I got this audition coming up on Tuesday. They would fucking crush if I got it. I mean, like yeah. it can be as realistic as you like, but what do you think? Um, my dream, a lot of times it, I'm always really like hesitant because it sometimes it's translated into must be big, rich and famous, but these things happen to be that. Like, mm. it's not like I want to be big, rich and famous. That's not my dream. The things I want, because I know how the business works would lead to that, but they're, they're mutually yeah. exclusive. They're right. In the vacuum. Right. Um, so it's like a weird little disclaimer. My dream would be to just, it sounds like I'm obsessed with money, but just have my job be to act. And if that, there are dream roles, don't get me wrong. I would kill to play Frank. They need to do the Punisher in a series. I know Bernthal did it. I don't like it as much, <laughs> so I won't focus on the Punisher, but there's like a couple nerd books I love and they're to be that a handful of these characters and have that turn into more work, like just work that in, initiates more work yeah, and just to work in the business. And, and actually, I guess the more succinct way to put is my dream would be to getting paid to act versus volunteering spending my day in life volunteering time to try to get the job to maybe act. I want to just, just to flip over to that side of where I'm actually just doing the job and where the job, where the job creates more work, you know, where the dream is to be called for a role versus begging, yeah. auditioning, hustling and networking for an audition to yeah. get the role. Like I spent two years just to get an audition for Reacher, just right. being and, and doing all right. sorts of crazy shit. 
it was awesome and fun, but the dream would be to like get something and have them call you or do your own stuff. Like there's a book I don't, right. it's called, I don't even want to release it, but it's an amazing book series. I would kill to make that and just have that, you know, like I always look at, I always use Mel Gibson as a great example, all personal stuff aside, this dude made these action movies. He was a product of the eighties and nineties action stuff. There's probably like, Oh, we got to do lethal weapons because it's good business. You know, we got to do this because it's good business. But then he got to the point where he's like, F you, I'm making a movie about right. Jesus. Right. And I'm going to do an Aramaic. Like he got Hollywood F you money yeah. and he could just yeah. do it. And so there's a, to me, that's, I, I think he's had some bad days. Don't get me wrong. But when I see him talk and I've heard him do a commentary, I don't know if you've seen the movie fat man where he plays Santa Claus. I didn't see it, but yeah, actually yeah. good. It's not I'm sure it is. I know I guess it's, it's, actually, it's played straight and I was listening to the commentary of it. And ironically, he has joy in what he does. When you see him talk, it's sometimes hyper enthusiastic because he's, he's yeah. no Gibson, but he has a, just a freaking excitement about it. Like it, it just, you, it, to me, it just oozes and, and he can do it cause he can, has the money to make what he wants. He can tell studios to F off. He can do a studio movie, but he kind of is in this sweet spot. And I'm not using him as an example. I think like Hugh Jackman's a great example. He can play the sure. and do Broadway. Like that's sure. Right. Diverse. Yeah. Like, you know, I, I find him uh, pretty impressive. So I guess that'd be the very long winded answer of my dream would be to get a, like, there's a series I've been pimping out. It's called Dempsey. Um, and it's, right. it's been picked up and again, it's got a Navy seal of course. It's always <laughs> Navy seals, but my dream would be to get something like that and just have that would create something. Cause I'm not going to go blow it on cocaine and, and right. stupid decisions and right. car i might buy a car too because i love cars <laughs> i, I would, I'm, I'm do i have like a 25 year old truck but like that would be the dream i i think people that their careers die it's because they're you and i both know what the day rate on sag is when i hear people go oh i'm not making it i'm like fool you make a thousand ninety two dollars a day that's a day there do the math like you screwed up big time i, I mean la is expensive yes but you really have to screw up to be a series regular. And even if you never have a career again, put some money away, like you're an idiot. So like you can have a series and never work again or work sporadically. Like Robert Pattinson's a great example. Um, he did the twilight sprink, twinkly stuff. If you don't, if you didn't follow him, he disappeared and did some crazy indie stuff that he just wanted to do. Cause he had F you yeah. money in, yeah. in twilight. And now he comes back and he's freaking Batman, yeah. you know? Yeah. And see, that's not too shabby. Like he didn't blow it on cocaine and hookers and he, he might've, I don't know, but he made enough that he could, but he just, right. he took that thing, had maybe fun initially doing it and then eventually had obligations to finish the series. Right. And he just went off and had fun. Like the movies he, he did, he, you knew he didn't do them. If you've watched them, I went on a deep dive and like watched all of them and, uh, he was not doing them for box office success. Yeah. Right. Like he absolutely right. was not. That was answer, that was an incidental bonus. So I think in retrospect, to answer my question is uh, something like what he did, you know, cool dream series or you know sequel movies or stuff like that, and uh, pay the bill doing it. And would you do stage again? Hundred percent. Yeah, I freaking love the stage. Um, I always go to this place. I was just telling Betty this when we, I was talking about you uh, to her last night. Um, you and I both know like. Especially when I was in LA, if there was an, uh, a theater, a uh, play, uh, audition for a play, I was always hesitant because it was like a, you know, per performance, per seat pay scale. Oh. And I was in such, mm. yeah. And I'm, wow. 
it was something I can't. It wasn't like a. It was. That's a very L.A. way of thing. looking at it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. No, it yeah. definitely is not that. Yeah, right, right, right. right. <laughs> so, but I was also like, okay, and if I'm in, I always went through this headspace. If I'm in that, I'm pretty much committed to this the whole run of the show. And if I get a role, I can't audition. So I just discounted it, as far as almost like a time financial decision. Yep. But it wasn't yep. a personal preference decision at all. Like I even, it's sadly, it's on my to do list as we speak. There's a handful of theaters near where I live. Like even if I'm not in them. It'd be what if God, what if I got to direct or hell, I'd even help build stage do go work on crew right. or do his light right. hanging because it was fun as hell to be around. Yeah. And now I'm at that point, I'm trying to micro my life a little bit of like mm. it wouldn't be a shitty way to spend my day, <laughs> you know? Right. And actually, God forbid, I make a couple bucks. Where are you guys now? Are you in Atlanta? We're just outside of Omaha. Omaha. Yeah. Oh, no, yeah. yeah. Wow. Holy so shit. I I got enough of a career, whatever it is. And because of the pandemic, that's a thing that got good from it is you don't have to live in LA anymore. Yeah. Uh, you have to be willing to get there because unless it's a big role, it's weird because sometimes they're casting all over the place. Like I've still had major, major, major auditions frustratingly and awesomely at the same time, but they, and they've been shooting at Atlanta or LA despite where I live. Yeah. If they're, they're big enough where they're like, we're casting this wide net for like Mortal Kombat. I just auditioned for to play the main bad guy. Right. Get it. So I can tell you that. And they would have obviously flown me because right, they, right. they're not caring where you live. Uh, but there's other ones where I'm like, oh, I'd kill to do this. I'm going to have to eat the plane ticket myself, do the math to make sure I'm not in the red. I'd like to profit from the job. Um, but yeah, so that was definitely a decision where I was like, I need happiness um, as yeah. far as yeah. the, the life outside of the job or the life outside of the. Because I'm from small town Idaho. Yeah. So, yeah. You know, just Atlanta wasn't bad. I was in a small enough town. But it's still, it's LA 2.0. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, and, and, and I'm not a big Southern boy. Mm -hmm. So I met Betty and she's, uh, she has a, she has what you and I in this whole conversation are talking about as far as a great example template of a job. She, she's Mike wrote her job. She loves her job. It brings her value. She's happy. And it's specific to this area. So when, when we met and started dating, I was like, who I've made an ex-wife at the time, wife follow me around the world as a green beret roles are reversed. She has to be here in Omaha. I, because of whatever success I've got or pandemic, I can live wherever I want and still chase work. So it's gotcha. kind, of, kind of a no brainer. And it's so much peaceful, more peaceful for the soul. Like the first day we were here, there was a John Deere driving in our neighborhood and stopped at a stoplight, <laughs> you know, like this big yeah. John Deere tractor. I was like, Oh, I'm home. <laughs> no, that goes a long way. And, uh, yeah. what's the next inflection point for Dempsey? Um, I think, uh, I've talked to the authors. I've been with the authors on a couple of their shows. Um, last I saw is it's been, it's been purchased as I understand it. They haven't revealed who or where, um, I'm reading in between the lines that it's a streamer somewhere. Um, and that's it. And I, I hover on that as much as possible. The guys are vets. So I, I, they i've been very explicit we had like a private meeting and this isn't like this part isn't a secret or anything but like i was very explicit i was like look there's the hustle they've they've I hate the word followed it feels so douchey but they followed me for a long time so they know i play the game everything i do is sincere but there's right. always within this industry there is calculation right and so i said guys genuinely because you're vets and i really just love this shit please know there's the jeff that's you know, hyping it or hashtagging Dempsey. But at the end of the day, I hope you guys know I get if they're like, we'll do this movie, but it's got to be Chris Pratt or, you know, whatever. right, right, right. And I'm like, yeah. I get it. 
I'll be butthurt as hell. Don't get me wrong, guys, but I won't hold it against you. I get the business. And I go, I just, I promise you that level of, um, of, of honesty, but also do know, I do know how this business works and it's a business of constant, uh, poking. Like I'm alive, I'm alive, I'm alive, I'm alive. And, and I go, so please know that's not an immature child doing that. I'm, it's a 45 year old guy that's very calculated about it and knows out of sight, out of mind. Right. And, and right. so please know. And they're cool and very receptive. Uh, to, uh, I'm not just kidding. Right? They're really good guys. And I'll read their stuff. Every time I pe- see stuff or read stuff, I'm like, how are people coming up with original ideas? Finally, my yeah. brain, if I start to write something, the next thing I know, I'll accidentally write star Wars. I'm like, uh, right. I don't have that original thought. I guess. <laughs> so the next step, I think I'm sure they're just pitching it, trying to get all the last I understood it. you know, you can see all this like on IMDB pro, yeah. you know, they're dealing with the showrunner negotiation shenanigans. They know that I know that it's going to be a fight. Like, I don't want to put words in their mouth, but they've more or less, which I've even told Betty this a couple of times. I'm like, this is awesome because we're all new. We're all vets and we're all honest. Like with Reacher, I met with the author a handful of times and we actually did a couple of talks in New York. He never, he knows the business. He never once said anything committed. Never yeah. once he goes, I want it to be Jeff Bosley. Right. You right. could glean some nuance, but he knew how to play the game. Uh, so he, cause he didn't want to be quoted. Sure. And, uh, sure. But he was very receptive to meeting with me. We hung out, we did events. Uh, the guys that are doing Dempsey, I might be reading between lines and I, cause I'm always very hesitantly confident. I, I, as I read it, or at least I'm kidding myself, they want it to be me, but they know that I know that they know that right. that might not be the option. So right. they know I'm like, just, if I get an audition. I get that the lead of the show has to guarantee money. Sometimes the trick could be like, "Hey, we have this new week." I was like, "You could pitch new, new a Green Beret playing the Navy." So, <laughs> ah, right? You know, I go, but there are these ancillary characters. Don't get me wrong. I would just be, I just be, I just want to play in your guys' backyard. And this sounds odd. There are some characters I'd love, but the, still, the lead from Jeff way back in theater. I want to be Dempsey. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. it's just it's in this weird stagnant phase. Reacher was greenlit and official, but still, I was still take took like I'm pretty sure it was almost two years of hulking. I did a fan film. That could have been a little bordering on desperate. It got me an audition, but I do know those casting directors knew who I was. So I want to potentially de de risk that. Uh, yeah, they're like he's passionate, but he's not desperate, right? And especially because these guys are are really cool. I don't want to fuck with them. They're really yeah, guys. sure, sure. So it's more a little bit of like poking the bear, creating some hashtags, this and that. Once it gets to the formal, like right now, they don't have a casting director. They don't have a showrunner. Right. The minute that formality happens, I take it down a notch. I'm, I'll throw hashtags here and there, but that's where I'll let managers and agents do it the professional way. So I've cultivated enough of the stuff up to that point where they go, okay, so who is this Jeff Bosley? I've created a history, but once sure. it's formal, sure. I stop. There's no more, no more schmoozing. They'll know I exist. Uh, that my agents and everything will do their pitchy, pitchy stuff. And I'll, you know, I'll poke the author. I'll even read right. them. I have their, when I email them, I'm like, guys, I like, I'll, I'll, okay, I'll reveal it because it applies here. But Dempsey broke his back. Guy that wants to play Dempsey broke his back. Dempsey in all the books is talking about his, his thigh pain, his phantom pain here. And I'm like, I am Dempsey. I am sitting here in so much pain reading about Dempsey being in pain in, a, in, a, in an airplane. Like, you guys, this is literally me, other yeah. than the fact he's a Navy SEAL. Yeah. So, like, I'll email him, but then also email him non pitchy bullcrap. I'm like, guys, I just teared up at this moment. This was the best part of this book. Like, 
so it, it's that's where it's at. It's it's a holding pattern of just the business being the business. Obviously, they're highly motivated to sell. A sure, series sure. Of, of course. Like, uh, what's his name? Jack Carr selling uh, Terminal yeah. List. Yeah, like that's a dream come true for them. Don't get me wrong. Right. But if I could be the Chris Pratt to Terminal or to Dempsey as Chris Pratt as Terminal List, I wouldn't say no. And, well, and it sounds like you're, you've set yourself up that there's, there shouldn't be any two ways about it, that barring an A-list or coming in and taking that role, yeah. you should be in the audition room. It seems that's, like I, that's my know. bare minimum is, yeah. is, especially as we said with this business is like, I know I can only do so much, right? I just need an audition. And then after that, if I don't get it, it's out of my hands. Right. Like, right. Like, I, and it's like, I go to morbid, ex- I'm not going to go like, oh, I found out Chris Pratt's auditioning. I'm going to go break his legs. You know <laughs> an option <laughs> but like, anything in my potential realm of control like i've even pimped this out like i'm not even effing around I, if you've seen it or you know like i'm straight up related like i work with the bosley hair transplant people right i right. added more hair because dempsey's younger than me like i thought I, it was because he was a seal i thought that's why no, he had to add more hair more hair no, you know i, bought, I, I more, more gel <laughs> i bought more gel <laughs> i needed more hair to work with <laughs> But I was like, I, I, I was like, guys, I'll do everything in my power for you. Like nobody, nobody has that. Well, and I'll, I'll end on this first off, dude, thank you. I mean, this has been such a fucking blast and I, and I feel like I'm being exploitive if I keep this going for longer. Cause I'm like, yeah, why don't you take your whole fucking day and talk, but you know, pig and shit doing this. Okay. Well, good. It's, it's been such a blast talking and, and and I just was like, holy fuck, we're at over two hours, but. I I, oh, I, I I did want to ask you about this because um again, I mean, like you have the the hashtag consider quitting. You're you're incredibly transparent with people. And then I'm like, holy fuck, you're like on there showing people that you're getting your hair transplanted, Bosley and all that. The antithesis of the LA actor thing, where it's like, no, I'm just a stunningly good looking individual. What what do you think? Yeah. You know, it's like, no, dude, I'm I'm fucking working. What I love about it, and uh, and I'm going to pontificate about what I love about it, and then you can tell me how off base I am with this. But what I my my sense is, it's like um, it's the old biblical, you know, uh, the years that the locusts had taken. You know, it's like, look, motherfucker, I was doing all this stuff. I didn't have time to take care of myself. I was busy just working on my body, trying to be functionally fit, just execute a mission. Yeah. Then I'm firefighting. I'm doing all this shit. Look, I'm not going to come in. And just like I've been lounging and you know spying it up every Wednesday and, and Friday for the past 15, 20 years. So yeah, if I'm going to compete in this league, I get it. Yeah. I'm going to have to do a little bit of work, and I, there's no shame in it. And I think it's it's a pers- if and again, I'm not trying to read anything new to this. So you can set me straight, but my sense is it's a refreshing honesty that a that a military veteran can bring to the industry to go. Yeah, it's a superficial industry, and not unjustly. We expect yeah. things to look a certain way, bitching. Then I'm going to do what the fuck I need to do so that yeah. I can be presentable to you because, yeah, there's been a lot of shit that's eaten away at me because I've done unnatural things. So, yeah, I, I got I got to make it back, man. You know, I got to make it back on the back end. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, you're not. You're not off base at all. You're 100 percent right. Like there's a limit. I'm not going to go like. It, you know the, the hair transplant thing for example i'm insecure i can get it because i work with them like okay cool i'll look a little younger i'm not going to go i get go crazy with botox that's what special effects are for but it was also i was like well, how can i spin this to be like hey guys seriously though he's younger than me you can't argue this but like you said there's an element of um i guess that's something i i would go back to with like what would i bring to it would be joy is is 
it's weird to talk about honesty and transparency in a braggatory way because it seems hypocritical. But I've been told that several times in in very deep conversations like this, and that's actually really important to me because going back to that on consider quitting thing, like I'm tired. I want, and I've said this in other stuff. Like I want people to know relate to me the exact same way I really. Mm -hmm. We wouldn't relate. This is so artsy, but I truly mean this. Like I wouldn't relate to Superman if he had zero weaknesses. He needs kryptonite. He needs emotional weakness if Lois gets hurt or when his mom gets threatened. Like we won't relate to that. And I'm I'm not I say this following as a fan who happens to act. That's why nobody relates to Black Adam the way they portrayed it. He's indestructible. What happens? It's like, all right, well, that was I have no ethos, pathos. I don't care about this guy. He's indestructible. You know, yeah. that's why I like yeah. when we made the Reacher fan film. I actually re- he wrote the scene we did he got his ass kicked more than the book and people crucified me for it. i was like yeah but if it was two minutes of him just winning a fight nobody gives a shit you know like so i want that to translate into the real world like it's the whole um uh i think it's it's a trope in all the movies of like the fighter who gets really cushed with his millions of dollars and loses his edge right like right people you know, I probably, if I, if, if, and when I get a career, I'm probably gonna have a PR person just like constantly up my ass. Like, don't post that. Quit saying that. Yeah. You know? yeah but yeah. I want, I'm not doing this. Yeah. The casting directors will get a paycheck off of this. I get how the business is, but I'm not getting on stage like you, or I'm not getting in front of the camera. Yes. They make a paycheck. Yes. People thrive off of that. Agents get percentages. People put food on their table doing it, but I'm not, I'm not acting in an empty forest. Like I'm acting for an audience. Not because of my ego, but I want people to freaking enjoy it. And if they can connect Jeff with that, like I like I as Jeff relate to like the the there's a big story about Henry Cavill nerding out on Dungeons and Dragons and building his own gaming computer. I think that's so freaking awesome. He's like, oh my God, that's like so many people are enamored with that because he's like Mr. Beautiful British Henry Henry Cavill. And like, oh my God, he's a nerd. You know, and right. so like that is crazy important to me to avoid the hypocrisy to stuff I hate, where people they talk about their struggle on a talk show. Rock talks about it's seven bucks productions because he only has seven dollars in his pocket. But like, that's in retrospect is awesome. You yeah. Know, but like, this is the shit I want people to relate to, as far as like not losing that edge, that fighter that lost his edge. And then also on the flip side of that, as far as like you were talking about like always working or whatever, with that transparency, I want them to see that. I want them to go because we have to look at it like you said, it's a business and these cast directors need to go, is this guy going to flake? Can we, I actually have something written in Sharpie on my Mac upstairs is, will they trust, can they trust me with millions of dollars? Mm. Like if mm. you have to carry a show, that guy that's building the set, that carpenter, he, <laughs> your job's in his, his job's in your hands. You know, when Tom Cruise breaks an ankle and Mission Impossible shuts down, it's a cool story, but a lot of people lose their job. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I want them to know, holy shit, this guy is working on something that he hasn't even got an audition for. He doesn't know who the casting director is. And he's every day when I'm working out down here in this basement, it's in case I get that role and to bring that transparency and that what we have from our backgrounds that train and always be ready crap, but it's still, it's true, you know? And I think I need to check it sometimes. Don't get me wrong. That transparency sometimes can be whiny and that's where I'm admittedly a little pissy and, and shitty, but, uh, I would be more enamored with the rock if he had social media back when he first started taking Mm. a video from his supposed car. He used to sleep in like that. I relate to, I don't relate to him traveling around in his traveling iron paradise gym anymore. I don't care about his past struggles. (laughs) They don't relate. I don't relate to him at all. You know, it's cool when he trains for black Adam and all that, but it's, it's just, 
it doesn't make me we should be able to separate the actor from the the thing don't get me wrong right the way it's set up they're they're inseparable they just they're kind of people want to you know depending on your beliefs i think it's cool if, when chris pratt was saying thanks god that, that one there's yeah. a speech he has yeah. that's awesome it's relatable pissed off some people whatever well everything you know. pisses off somebody yeah <laughs> yeah so you can't say anything but to me that's like making a choice to be something in spite of where i know about you but i had my first part of my career there was like a paralysis in like constantly making sure like what is the exact amalgamation of perfection that would get me roles like don't mm. be too gi joe don't show yourself with a gun on social media you get in this weird hyper evaluate evaluation yeah. stage and it's it's miserable and now going back to the consider quitting thing it's just like midlife crisis we're going to die pretty soon that shit sucks if you're not going to just be genuine you know like there's therapeutic levels of right of, of honesty <laughs> like, right 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 Jeff, yeah sure you did this bitch this week like take uh, it down a notch right you know there's a difference and and that's the sweet spot that i i still i work at trans transcending back and forth a lot anyway but what roles wouldn't uh, you do um that's changed over the years for sure i think i would never have like done anything uh uh like hypersexual but in a committed relationship that changes your perspective on what you'd be willing to do as far as like literal blocking um, like there's still love stories to be told, but do they have to have a Tom top gun sex scene, you know, especially in the generation, the eighties, there were sex scenes and everything. Now mm -hmm. those, those, like, so I would be more aware of like block, like, uh, I'd, I'd literally say, can I see the script, you know? So, but I'm going to be more aware of that because I'm in a very committed relationship with a person. I don't want to feel icky. Sure. Like it's just a weird industry that way. And you know, like there's very few movies now where you have to see a sex scene right like you can get the story across with an implied or a quick rollover fade to black like so i'd be more aware of that now because i mm. really respect betty and and i don't want that kind of ickiness um but she gets it she's in the modeling and entertainment industry prior to her career here um so those i'd be uh critical of or aware, more cr i'd critique the uh, script more that's a really good question it sounds cliche, but it genuinely would be script dependent because if I auditioned for a role, this is horrible to say out of context, but keep it in perspective. I auditioned for a role where the character played a, uh, uh, he, he basically was abusing his daughter. They didn't show it in the way the script was, but the comeuppance and, and the story that was told, it was right on this cusp of like, oh God, yeah. but the way it was done, somebody had to play that character. Yeah, like it yeah. had to be done. I mean, not had to, but you know what I mean. Um, and that one had I got it, I wouldn't have regretted it by any means, but I definitely it was I wouldn't be like, hey mom, go watch this, you know. Right. But it was right. I knew like in that case, that would have been it would have brought that story to life. Somebody always has to play the bad guy. Kevin Spacey's personal life aside, whatever he did or didn't do, he was horrendous in seven. So right. he had to play it. Right. Horrendously good. Right. You know, so somebody had to play it. So I I just would be more aware of like does it tell a story? You know, it, it, it's, it's, and I say the word cliche a lot, but it's a cliche cop out, but I, I now mean it more than I thought I did where does it tell a story or is it just bullshit? Is it just to, is it, is it the eighties yeah. and sex to show right. boobs and sex? Right. Like I was watching Die Hard and there's this random scene where they had to show somebody having sex right before the terrorists break into an office. <laughs> there was no, that did not enhance the story at all. You know, so be more aware of it right. like that. Um, you know, right. like, I know a lot of people stereotype and assume I wouldn't play like a gay character. Like I have my personal stances on, on 
I'm just using Gabe as an example, like on any topic, but I know I would entertain everything initially. Like everything will get a, 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 a get my a respective quick look, you know, but then from there on out, personal views. Yeah. Does the story need to be told? Does it need to be told by me? That wouldn't matter, but uh, I definitely would. 90% of my pool would probably be a safe assumption of what you think it would be. You know, like there might be some 10% outliers here and there. Yeah. Yeah. But I wouldn't bitch about playing Captain America for 10 years. Like that's freaking awesome. <laughs> right. 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 You know, <laughs> there's one question I, I can't, uh, I will, we'll wrap on this because I can't let you go without just asking kind of an obvious question. What's the feedback you've gotten from the community since you've kind of now you're out, you're overt, you're got it. Instagram page and all that, like yeah. what kind of feedback do you get and how does it make you feel? What's been the yeah. result of like it? the green beret world? Yeah. 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 Um, I get, they give me shit, but they give me respectful shit. They, they give mm -hmm. me the good amount, like just to, in, in jest, but not at least as I perceive it, I could be wrong, but not to the point where they're like, you're embarrassing us. Um, and I only know that because there are some where I can tell they're like, Oh God, about other people. So I think I'm doing it just right and and actually that's that's almost actually a personal litmus test especially when it comes to military movies um i'll actually go into we have a we have a private facebook group that you have to be you actually have to turn in your tab orders to be even part of it and um i'll i'll even post like when there's a really shitty steven seagal movie i did i'm like I'll, i posted a screen grab from a guys i'm like guys i'm gonna beat you to the punch if you see this not my fault <laughs> you know and they'll give me crap for that um but they know I've actually seen a buddy of mine. He defended me to somebody that was giving me a wrath of shit. This was years ago. And I, I since had forgotten. I remember the the players in the conversation. I don't remember the why, but one, one, un, one person didn't know me specifically. Like he knew green Bray Jeff, um, kind of, he was, he was defined. He was understandably the way he was uh, just, he's, he's, he was what makes us us. And one of my buddies came to the rescue and said, no, if you know him, he's, he's solid. And that, and the guy goes, I trust you. And it, problem solved. And I just remember mm -hmm. that those two guys, one of them, he still texts me every once in a while. He's actually the one when I was still, I was doing transitioning out of Green Beret Land, Firefighter Academy, and I was still doing like random side uh, indie shows up in, in when I lived near Denver. Wow. Uh, so I was just learning the pimping, networking, social yeah. media bull crap. But yeah. I had this really, in retrospect, really douchey cowboy shirtless model picture really stupid in retrospect but he found it somewhere on imdb and in our whole uh team building he printed probably like 60 70 of these bastards and they were on any place that had a door he had an eight by ten of this really douchey modely picture of me toilets toilet stalls Fuck. everywhere and he's <laughs> to this day he's a buddy that still gives me shit and but if if he texts me and says you're bad jeff i'll trust him but pretty much everybody rings his sentiments as far as like ah we'll give him i'm I'll give myself this shit. Like, oh, Jeff, your hair looks great. Or you've, you know, you've played a Navy SEAL more than you played a Green Beret. Or, <laughs> right. You know, right. but it's all uh, pure jest. And none of it's been like with an ulterior, like you're embarrassing us, you know? And since I don't go in the space of like, I think if people that go in from our careers to the space of being like, if I was a shooter, if I was like a Instagram, like gun shooter or tactical trainer, there's probably more criticism yeah. to be had. Like, and Whereas when I swing completely to the other fence, they're like, oh, this is just, this is just Hollywood being Hollywood. We, right. This, this, he's not right. disparaging us. Um, and I actually use that as a personal little 
litmus test in the background as far as like, is this going to embarrass them or is it just going to be yeah. funny? Yeah. Know? Like if they have me do some sort of abomination to wearing the green beret wrong, like I'll fight that to the, like if a Marine had to wear his dress blues wrong in the military or in a movie, I'm sure people would die. <laughs> you know? Right. Like right, he would right, probably right. kill people. Yeah. You know, there's, yeah. there's some no, there's some deal breakers I would have, but I always try to keep that in mind as far as them. Like, are you going to get me shit? Are they going to be like, oh, that was pretty fucking cool, Jeff. You know? Yeah. I, I lied because that, that, that brings up a whole follow-up question um, that I, I do want to ask. It kind of your your dramaturgy that you need to do on set, like by nature of being an, an actor with your background, being cast on a lot of shows where they're looking at your resume and going, okay, yeah, you're going to be here. Um, and especially when you talked about going in the audition room and knowing when you have to blunt the edges around the edges yeah. and when you got to, when you can be teeth bared. Mm-hmm. Um, morally isn't the right word. What's the right word? Uh, your integrity, how do you, do you feel like you've had to compromise the integrity mm. of who you are sometimes to go, or do you feel like some, that you're a value add that you come on set and it's like, Hey, I, I know tactfully how to insert a little dramaturgical perspective here and say, guys, mm. yeah, I know I'm not the writer, but yeah, yeah, this is a no go area here or something like that. Is there anything like that that you've had to struggle with? Has that ever been an adjustment? Yeah, a hundred percent. Um, Part one of that, there have been times where I've, like I said, I wouldn't say my integrity that it's, but it's, there has been, a, a, it has possibly overlapped a little into that, but I would say more of a, I've just had to mute who I I am, which could be mm-hmm. translated mm-hmm. as into a lack of integrity to me. It was just more like muting some parts. Yeah. Um, like, I mean, it could be as much as like, God, I posted a lot of pictures of me at a gun range this week. I should probably take that down because casting directors probably will see that. And in their eyes, they'll assume I'm a gun freak and then they'll go down this they could go down this rabbit hole of like, oh, he's probably this giant pro A flag on his truck guy and he's right. gonna hate us. So right. like so I'll mute stuff. So that sometimes feels disingenuous or like a possible integrity breach, but I know it's a game and I know right. I'm still it's not like I I know I'm not a hypocrite. It's just like a self-censor. Uh so that stuff is always there a little bit. Um but yeah, when it comes to like stuff on set, um I definitely over the years have learned to read the room and a good buddy of mine. He's actually a green beret generation, maybe about a generation and a half older than me. He's been in the stunt industry forever. Uh, like all the way from all the early Captain America's, the very first few fast and furious. And he, uh, he was, uh, stunts or consultant for one of the transformers. And, as the story I understand it goes, long version short, somebody insisted on wearing something wrong. And my buddy steps up and told Mr. Michael Bay, that's not how it's done. You basically, you pay me to advise on how this stuff is done. Right. And as I understand it, he goes, this guy's going to wear it his way. He's so-and-so. And my buddy goes, all right, I did my part. I'm an advisor. Yep. Not the wardrobe. Yeah. Guy. Yeah. And it's a Michael Bay freaking movie. And this is a super famous guy who people, you know, bent over and like, oh God, it's him. That stuff right. pisses right. me off. Cause I'm like, you're freaking human. You're not a God. That yeah. irks me a little bit. Uh, I'll say that is definitely a thing, but that my, the green Bray buddy told me that story and that I'll, I always kept it. I've never forgotten that as far as like, what was I hired for? And so it's hard as hell to keep it isolated. Like, so I know I go in by default, but I'm a role as an actor. If they got me as an actor, I'm like, that is my job. But if I can read the room or if I find a way to politely yet professionally plug, Hey, I, you know, I know how to do this. I, I, there was a time I played a cop in a movie and I just knew enough about some law enforcement gun stuff, how belts are set up, 
that the wardrobe person was literally Googling images. And I was like, I, if you don't mind, I actually, you know, and she was receptive to it because she's cool. But had she shut me down, that frustration, I just would have had to swallow it because just like every other job on the planet, it ideally is collaborative. But at the end of the day, somebody's in charge of that lane and, and she's in charge of wardrobe. If I'm going to look like an embarrassment, I got, I got hired to be the green beret. If it's a collaborative environment like that was, I was able to kind of schmooze and tell her what I was. She said, Oh, here. Yeah. She goes, she's like, Oh good. You put it up however you want. I don't want to deal with it. So that was collaborative seal team. They're actually very receptive when they hire their actors. They actually very, were very aware of my background. The advisors are all kind of pseudo buddies of mine. And they're like, just do what you as think is best, you know, cause they're just like, go forth and conquer. But yeah. you know, the times like my buddy said, they're just like, oh, they're like noted, but I'm doing it my way. Yeah. So that's where ironically the military comes into place where I'm like, okay, some people, this is your lane. I'm not in charge of it. You know, if I'm doing Delta stuff and my Bravo says, I think you should trade, you know, you should right. crack this guy here. I'm like, noted f off <laughs> right right <laughs> so right. it is there and it's hard especially with the military stuff because of that integrity because like you said i you know my friends are gonna be crap the steven seagal movie i died in and actually that green bray buddy was in it with me and we went our we went across this alley with our back to it uncleared we both got shot in the back this most mo- moronic move ever and like i preempted told people i'm like by the way i played green bray <laughs> in this movie and i'm the first i'm a real green bray playing green bray i'm the first guy to die in the movie you know, and I'm highly aware I got shot, you know, so, and we tried to kind of bring it up because they did the same thing, hiring us, knowing what we did. Yeah. But they're like, no, the director's like, we need you to get from here to here. And you need to look that way because we need you to get shot. And I'm like, so basically the premise yeah. was, we actually need you to be an incompetent Green Beret in this scene and get shot in the back. So it, that's, it's, yeah, that's... it's infuriating, but yeah, I think career maturity has allowed me to see the why. And, and I, I use the Michael Bay one as an extreme of the least ideal. And I yeah. use the other extreme of like seal team to their credit as the best ideal, the most ideal where they're like, we know what you've done or the middle ground was that cop one where they're like, Oh, you sound like, you know, what you're doing go for it. Have fun. You know? Okay. This is your fault. Uh, next no, time. I love don't this don't be, don't be so interesting. Cause I, 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 I've just time. got, I, I do. I, I've got, <laughs> I've got oh, totally, this is so luxurious. Uh, I'm, I'm totally being indulgent by asking this, but, one of the things that's sticking in my mind is you talking about the casting directors, which I can totally relate to and understand yes. and see where they would look potentially misinterpret or interpret to their dissatisfaction, yeah. your social media posts, and you could have negative repercussions and what have you um, career wise. Mm-hmm. And the thought that comes to my mind is <laughs> if we trying to think if I, if I, this is going to come out as a statement <laughs> or a question, but let's, let's see how it goes. The thought that immediately came to my mind is if everyone had served in the military, they would have some ability to understand the hierarchy of accomplishments in the military and potentially then look at ones like your career, anyone's career that have been in the military with a degree of perspective, knowledge, and maturity yeah, and be able to go, Okay, I may agree, I may disagree, but I know how to interpret this as opposed to making it uh, such a binary boogeyman thing of, okay, we're painting with broad brush strokes and I have to extrapolate information out of pure ignorance, out of not knowing anything about the person I'm dealing with. And to my mind, 
this may not be the best example, but I'm going to go with it for right now and I'll edit it if, if it really shits the bed. <laughs> um, if you're a black guy and yeah. they're not, and they look and go, Hey, that freaks me out your post. And you're like, yeah, but dude, you don't understand. This is something, something, something. Yep. And they're, and they're looking and going, yeah, but I don't, um, I, I don't have any frame of reference for that. Everyone would bend over backwards to try to understand it more words with the veteran community. There's a sense of, um, you know, just making broad assumptions, broad-based assumptions, instead of giving some grace and kind of in your own, in one's own judgmental mind going, yeah. Hey, maybe, maybe, um, extend some courtesy to somebody who's made a voluntary choice, by the way, yeah. to be a yeah. veteran, nobody's yeah. born a veteran. So maybe yeah. respect the choice and go, I'll, I'll cut them some slack. Cause I don't fucking know. Yeah. Um, and I get, and, and again, this is, I'm pontificating more than asking a question, which I didn't intend to do, but no, I, love it. I guess I'll put it to you. I mean, taking it out of the showbiz context, but as somebody, I think we're both on the same page as people that potentially are a little concerned about the divide between not just civ mill, but mm-hmm. even showbiz and military and how you interpret the veteran community. Um, What's the answer for that? I know that's a big bag no, of no, fucking problems you. to dump at your lap, but I mean, you know, because uh, I, I, right. I don't think the answer is for people like you or for that matter, me or any other veteran to go, hey, I got to round the sharp edges of my personality to fit your ignorance. Um, I earned what the fuck I know. And it doesn't mean that yeah. I have to be right all the time, but it does mean I'm allowed to be me the same way everybody else is allowed to be themselves. Yeah. Is is there any value? What's what what's the fix? What's the takeaway? <laughs> the best that you can say. No, that's beautiful. I think uh, yes, everything you said. Um I think it's kind of like what you said uh, at the beginning about where particularly for me in the Hollywood like what you one of your first questions was like, you know, why are, is it typical that people are really interested to ask this actor Greenberry like why like that's a big right. niche like of course it's it's eye catching. And I think part of that stuff comes from is like to just use examples of like if a casting director hears oh we hear your waiter odds are that broad brush stroke of that actor that's in their audition room that's a waiter is probably going to be accurate because everybody's been a waiter in hollywood you know so they right. have a pretty accurate right. reference point or at least enough um uh, experiences to create a a wide accuracy you know like they, they don't have to generalize i'm like oh i've met asshole servers i've met great servers <laughs> right you know? They have right. a really wide right birth to make that judgment on. They they, they have a, they can make an intelligent informed. They have a lot of data points to exactly. reference. Perfect. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas here, sadly, with like the veteran community, whether it's with military, with civilians, or especially within Hollywood, and obviously civilians within Hollywood, you're right. Like they don't have data points. They ironically have the end of the movies they're making is their data points and and right. entertaining military movies are ptsd psychopaths or just bearded or and then the media itself not social media but media and social right. media alone if you're doing your job as a vet with it's running some sort of like survival business you're going to be on the radar good bad or indifferent and they're like oh bearded guy with gun and he's i know the other bearded guy with a gun that has a survival business and he's really intense and he showed that one picture that was anti this candidate so right right all i know is bearded guys with guns in the military are this guy right right so the only i i this is such a cliche i love that word i gotta quit saying it this is such a cop-out answer i guess but it's it's education i guess and i think that would kind of be the 
no shit answer. But like you said, or when we said earlier, like back when everybody was in the military, like that was a given, almost like a, almost like what is it, Sweden or where people or Jew, uh, Israel, where they're Israel, like four, no, sure. yeah, where they have to serve. You just get it. Like, yeah. um, what's his name? Driver, the guy who played Darth Vader. Yeah, Adam Driver. The other Darth, yeah. the other, whatever Vader, whatever Darth. Kylo Ren. Yeah. Kylo yeah. Ren, yeah. yeah. Like, you could see he gets dark humor because he's the military. He's a Marine. Right. I don't right. care what he did. You know, it's like he automatically has empathy. And so, you know, wives are not being sexist, but wives are supporting family members. They get the military, even though they didn't serve. But then, like, what, all jokes aside, what could be more non-military than the mil than hollywood nothing like what more wide differences could there be right wrong accurate inaccurate good bad or ugly and i it's just it's it's it is just ignorance and lack of education and we all as humans do it we categorize we like you said we take sure. those data points and we i we're all bad at it or we're bad at it or good at it you know like it's 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 human nature to see okay here's that if i'm driving through a part of town you're going to take those data points and make an assumption, but then wait until you're proven right or wrong. And I think, uh, especially in that industry, like we, you had talked about earlier, it's purely based on aesthetic and quick assumptions, quick, quick judgments. Right. And that's all it is. And so to me, the way I handle it and the way I would say it would be the loose answer is I, it shouldn't be using your other example. It shouldn't be the black dude or girl's job to fix the ignorance of the person. Right. It shouldn't be my job as a military vet to fit and not ignorance in a, in an idiot way. Like some, I'm ignorant of some things it just it means I don't course. know, right. but right. to use the definition of ignorance, it's not up to me to fix the ignorance of a casting director that assumes big tattooed vet is out to murder everybody. But I think a, a sense of awareness, a hyper awareness, it is going to be on the shoulders. I'm like, well, what I did at least in Hollywood, which could possibly be used as a template to answer your question is I was aware of that. I was, you know, sometimes I'll still defiantly put stuff in my manager be like, Jeff, you've put a lot of gun stuff this week, <laughs> you know? Uh, and I'm like, oh, I'm like, oh crap. You know, I got, I got, yeah. you know, that's why I do have a personal like Instagram account so I can be like more me. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, so like, so, but it, what I ended up doing was having a self-awareness through their eyes of, again, not being uh, rude, but their ignorance. I'm like, like, so I, that's why I would go to auditions. I'd wear a bigger shirt. So I'm like, if I, or I would shave to look a little prettier versus beard and scraggly and, and not present, you know, so it sucks. We shouldn't have to live in a society where, where people have to counter others ignorances. Um, but that's kind of my answer, at least within the, the, the realm of Hollywood is I need to probably be assumptive when I meet a cast director, no matter how they talk, how, how Valley girl, they, he or she speaks, I can make it a safe assumption and I'm not, it's ironic. I have to use their yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. to feed my assumption right. to feed my counter performance literally and metaphorically to feed their, what I assumed them to be. Yeah. And that's just, I think it's going to be take intelligence and, and self-awareness and, and uh, yeah. And just to, yeah, it's reading the room. Unfortunately, it shouldn't be that way. You know, we shall be able to live in a utopia of singing Kumbaya but I, I can safely say a thing, of, excuse me, a feeling about a casting director and go, okay, I got to tone it down. Should you we know, be butthurt I, about it though? Or should we be big, big boys about it? I mean, like the right you know, answer is to be the better person. Yeah. Uh, but it's also like, uh, 
I hate this because I want to live in a world that's set the way I want it to be. You know, if everybody, <laughs> you know, if, if everybody ran it the way I would, I'd be great. <laughs> but like, if if a vet is going into Hollywood to expect Hollywood to run like the military or treat yeah. you like the military, you're in the wrong business. And yeah. I, I'm not saying that's the right answer because it pisses me off every other day for sure. Uh, but it's also like being pissed if you're going to work for NASCAR about your clothes are going to smell like tires and oil and fumes. Like, what did you expect? Um, there's no way to fix it. Um, although there, but it can change, right? I mean, I, perceptions I so. can I change. Think, you know, I think that's where because it is such a small community, the military community within the entertainment industry, it does have a chance to change because it's it's like not literally, but if it's easier to change five people in the community versus thousands or hundreds of thousands so it's a small enough community i it, the word could get out you know the the ranks could mature experiences could be shared where i could tell the new veteran like i've even told newer veterans a lot of green berets come and approach me that want to like be in the stunt industry yeah and i'll tell like preemptively tell them just be ready to be assumed to be like you know an asshole killer or you know or pro whatever candidate and they're gonna so right. i know you almost have to be ready to you have to preemptively counter that. Don't react and counter it. You actually have to go in assuming X, Y, or Z to be ready for it. And I go, don't change who you are, but you got to read the room and be aware that this is the world you're not coming into. So I think that could help educate people to not come in with that chip on their shoulder, like you're saying. And, and we said earlier, we're like, you, I, I've been in the military. I deserve to be, this should transcend into a job and, and show them. Prove them wrong, I guess. Like that's a good way to put it. Is like we could go out to prove them wrong. I I hope I prove people wrong. Like I know I have some eight by ten headshots that like go, oh that guy is going to kill people. You know, it's it's supposed to that headshot. But I love right. if they meet me, they're like, God, this guy's a rambling nerd that can do those things, but he can also act. He loves talking about theater. Like holy shit, I was wrong. You well, know? it's nice to show people the broad left and right limits of yeah, a person's like, capabilities yeah. and personality. And I would want, and yeah. I, would, I hope they would give me the same. And don't get me wrong, I just said all of that, and but within that stuff, I make assumptions about people when I walk in the casting room. Sadly, oh. most of the time I'm right, because again, I know the I know the jungle I'm in. Right. There right. aren't Green Beret casting directors, you know? It's just, I know where I'm at. I know what yeah. zip code I'm hanging out in. And it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's it. I think it could be fixed. It just is going to take um time and education and, and I, like, it, I i think the thing that 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 disturbs me and i don't know if this has been your experience is when i see military folk go into an industry and change their value system to fit the industry as opposed to saying look i am bringing literally the definition of diversity literally yeah. bringing a diverse life experience to this industry so yeah. And I and I don't need to throw it in people's faces, but I also don't need to renounce it, and I don't yeah. need to adopt everyone's cultural shibboleths yeah. just to fit into this world. Yeah. And I'm seeing that in the world of finance. I'm seeing that in the world of theater. I'm seeing it yeah. in the world uh, in showbiz writ large. Um, that I run into veterans in these different communities that are great people, and you're like, we have these shared experiences, and you're like, oh yeah, I get it. And you go, whoa, but hold on. You're, you're, and I'm not casting aspersions. Like I get the people need to abridge how they talk or sometimes present themselves. And that's mm -hmm. kind of the superficialities. But what jars me is when I see people kind of leaving, I'm like, dude, you, you know, better, you know, yeah, you know why we did that. You, we yeah. did that because of X, Y, and Z, you know that, but it's like, no, I'm expected to leave that behind because I have to fit into this world. That's where I, I look and I go, okay, that's, 
that's a bit jarring to me. Do you see it's, that? I in, agree. Yeah, I see it. And I think I've probably been guilty of it here and there. Like, I like that you said the word renounce. Like that, that's when you've transitioned into renounce, like that's almost, that's almost, you've almost become atheist towards who huh. you were versus right. like muting that, that level thing. And I, yeah, I, I see it. I've probably initially early did it. Um, where, and like I said, there's that weird sweet spot of like, of, you know, I look at the tire guy. He's not running around going, I'm a tire guy. I'm a tire guy. I'm a tire guy. So I don't need to run around going, I was a Green Beret, I was a Green Beret, I was a Green Beret. But if right. it's an audition that needs me to be Green Beret, you bet your ass, I'm going to do the opposite or renounce it. But I think the flip side of that, though, and this is a whole nother podcast, is that I'm in the middle of is like the military, I would loosely say also like maybe fire and EMS or, or, or law yeah. enforcement is one of those careers and jobs. And I'll even, I will even not include like elite surgeons athletes might be another example that would go in this of a career or profession that it is whether you're literally working for 24 hours or not is who you are for 24 seven for a giant chunk of your life so it is this is like i said a whole nother podcast where your identity and your purpose is defined by that experience so the flip side of like renouncing it is also the flip side of where i'm sometimes still to this day struggling where a lot of vets absolutely struggle is that is your identity yeah so that can also be repellent to your tire guy because it's like this guy is only a vet he's only a green beret that's all he is he knows he hasn't been that for a few years right like he you know so like right the flip side of that avoiding renouncing it is also like we such a business like to feel to also not be that thing anymore so yeah. the flip side of it i think is our responsibility which is like I said, a whole nother podcast is, is like that identity and purpose when it's gone, it can, it can also be, yeah, there's a sweet spot where you can yeah. possibly be unhealthily bound to that identity, Yes, which, which I know a handful of programs that are explicitly designed for those vets who spent, you know, spent, I'll just use my experience. Like you spend, if to take whatever I had and times that by three, so to spend 20 to 30 years as a green beret and then you're done. That does that wave of inertia doesn't just stop overnight. So of course, the next ten years of inertia is going to be there. Where every damn barbecue he's at, he's going to bring up a war story. Right, and it's and and right. that's not necessarily a bad thing, but that 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 existence is just so uh, unavoidable. And and it's it can that's the flip side of it. Not renouncing it, yeah. but also not not just letting it go but honoring no. it and keep there's a yeah. sweet spot yeah. like i said yeah renouncing it is like yeah. to me that's saying f you be proud of what you did right it if you have to i'm not going to go to some board meeting and talk about like slaying fools and you know like that's stupid right right <laughs> but or or i'm not going to say green braids are bad like that is straight up renouncing. right you know like right. i agree i 100 agree but then the flip side i would say is people need to make sure that their identity isn't tied to that. And that's the sweet spot. Like, I don't know the answer to that. Cause I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I pimp out the green beret thing in my social media bios because it is, I do know it's a unique thing. Yeah. But you do. We as vets, uh, there is a risk run with that where like, it goes back to the, the, the micros mom thing. Are you going to spend 80, you know, if, if 20 years of, yeah. if I say for 20 years, I'm, a, I used to be a green beret. It's like, well, what the hell were you present tense during that whole time? Right. Right. You know? And so there's that sweet spot of, of, honoring it but not renouncing it i think there's I also the answer no i i no i'm with you that's why i, I pimped you out on that see if it, yeah i mean it's it's one of those that i think yeah 
we'll we'll see. We'll just keep hashing through it. I yeah. do feel like the military and like you said, certain um certain li- certain professions are such a um we talk about this at VetRep all the time, about there's a um and we talk about what makes a veteran unique. The my standard stump speech is to say it's a um high volume of significant emotional events in a relatively compressed period of time relatively early in life. 100%. And those, those, that's what makes a veteran a veteran. And that's what makes them a special. Yeah. You know, yeah. It's not that they're stronger, faster, better looking than anybody else, but that's, that to me yeah. is it. But the, the, the flip side of that, of that definition is therefore, if you've had that high volume of significant emotional events, you can, when you leave, you're suddenly going to need time to unpack because you haven't had the time to process. And it hasn't been something like, Hey, I got divorced and that's traumatic. I had a long time to process that because I was going through it for a long time. Yeah. It's like, no, there was holy shit, I'm up high. Holy shit, I'm in a confined space. Holy shit, I'm, you know, in the yeah. block in the box and seer or whatever. You know, like there's yeah. all this different shit that's happened yeah. and and I'm and I'm been jerked in all these different ways. So now in the years to come, I mean, I find myself now like starting to go, holy shit, I'm drifting into a war story. But it's and I realized, oh, it's because it's coming back to me. And there's a part of me that's going, did I really do that? Cause I don't have anything to fucking show for it. Like, I'm like, Oh shit. Yeah. And it's just coming back to me. And you're like, if I don't say it ever, it may not have ever really happened. And I'll have nothing yeah. else to commemorate. You know, you know what I mean? And it's a 100%. weird dynamic. And that's not like, and that's what makes it different than working at the DQ. And yeah. it's what works it make it makes it different than that time. I was, you know, in a relationship for a long, yeah. like, you know, it's a different kind of experience. And that's a, it's a weird dynamic that we have in yeah. our community that I think makes us a different identity than if you just yeah. look at something that you're innately born with, yeah. like gender or race or something like that. Like these yeah. are choices we made, and therefore there's a number of experiences yes. that we have based on yes. those choices, and it's yeah. a different walk of life. Yeah, and I think your definition that you said of vet rep is like that's a, the most succinct way I've I've ever heard it. To be honest with you, and I think it, it's weird because it sounds elitist, but I, I you're like you said I can't think of any other. It's not the DQ. I, I can't think of any other existence like i know there's a thing in la called uh you've probably seen it pimped out here there's merging vets and players mvp uh, oh Ray and a okay mine uh right. and a, a nfl commentary his name is jay glazer they started this gym oh, yeah. up in la and uh it's for vets and athletes merging vets and players um where because they don't necessarily have to share the experience of combat or losing a brother but they they ironically i never thought of it. so this is kind of an interesting take that the founder came up with is like they lived eat and breathe this existence he's not saying playing a sport is the same as digging in the trenches but that no, loss sure. of identity the day yeah. i retire yeah was was fascinatingly parallel like my dad he's an amazing er physician but when he retired i saw a glimpse of the same thing like that's who he was forever it wasn't as acute like you said like you said early in life acute and extreme but it's still there was at least a parallel of, of empathy with that this is who I was forever. How do I, yeah. how do I get rid of that? And that loss of that, it, 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 yeah, it's, 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 there's having done that. I do kind of favor or I am biased about the military experience versus like an athlete or my dad as a position, because like you said, it's, it's the, the going from an 11 to a zero and a zero to an 11 in such a, I, to this day, I, I, in an honorable reminiscent way, not in a whiny nostalgic way, still will look back and go, I, I've not done anything comparable. Like huh, literally, right. yes, I haven't done anything comparable, but as far as like those experiences jammed into that short amount of time, like you, I love that statement of yours. I don't think it can be done. And I don't think like, I remember one time, uh, that movie American sniper about yet another seal. Yeah. 
Um, I, uh, this is long after my divorce, but there's a scene in there that if you extrapolated that to a career, there's a scene, basically, uh, the Bradley, uh, what's his name? Bradley Cooper's character was literally in a firefight from hell, found out his mother. It's been a long time, but then it found out his wife was about ready to give birth. They did him a solid. They did this a lot right. with us and Grace. Right. Like they were right. like, "Go, oh, we'll do you a solid and get you home for yeah. the baby's birth." Yeah, and he was pretty much home the next day holding his baby. Yeah. Probably less than twenty four hours, he was yeah. sending and receiving bullets. Yeah, and the way they portrayed that in the movie, I thought it was quite good. I'm getting chills telling you it. And I remember my ex and I, we don't talk, <laughs> but uh, I did email her after that, and not in a "Please come back to me, baby," but it was I emailed her going, "Hey, I." I I don't excuse anything they did X, Y, and Z, but I go, go watch that movie. And that was the first time I've seen a movie display that light switch in, in an absurdly acute amount of time that that life is now take that into 20 years, yeah. like yeah. going from stone cold killer to holding your baby and then having to go back to stone cold kill. The human brain isn't meant to do that, let alone over a career. And depending on how it, Again, not knocking a radiology technician who works in the army. I, right, not right. knocking that. But if you do that for twenty years, your ups and downs are pretty plateauy. They're pretty cool. They're pretty chill. Ours are insulin spikes all over the place. Right. And to go from that, and like my dad was an ER doctor. He wasn't like a family practice doctor, so right. he had those, right. like, you know, his own right. spikes. And then you drag that out over time. There's no way to. Not. I don't want to say identify with that, but like you said, it's part of who you are, and sometimes it's. It, it, it's it's not the most uh, it's not the most conducive for what's left after you leave that you know what's left over you know and therein lies all the you know you could say divorce rates suicide. I mean there's a reason for all of that and I don't know if there's an answer for all of it but I guess self awareness and intelligence and, and even the conversations like you just had with with your vet rep people with your opening statement like that awareness is like might smack some people to make them go oh. This explains well, that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and, and not to make this a commercial for for vet rep, but I mean, but that is the the belief system behind it is that like to unpack art, whatever artistic medium you choose, 100%. is important, right? Because yeah. because now it's a chance to not just be the guy at the end of the bar boring yeah. people with that no shit there I was stories, but now well, it's like reason. there's stuff. Yeah. There's a way to exploit this and get it out of my system and get it no yeah in a way that others can understand and appreciate. Yeah. Yeah, you know? It doesn't have to be a commercial. You're hundred percent I'll hundred percent I'll commercial it for you. That's why those kind your programs yeah. are important is because it allows bets to not sit like you said at the end of the bar or I mean all the horror stories you can hear. And like at Strasbourg I worked with a he's a really good guy, but he's a Marine. He's still Strasburg for him, it it was there was actually an instructor that was really good about it because sometimes method acting gets a little bit yeah a really bad rep and some people fall, yeah. fall for it and they yeah. it's, you've truly studied it. It's not as Jared Ledoe and and, and um, whatever his name Daniel Day Craigie as people make it sound yeah, yeah yeah but some people go in there thinking that's what it could be especially younger more immature people in their in their lives and careers and there's this one instructor he and I became good friends because again I was the oldest person in the school. He uh he would always tell me stories of where I actually saw him do this in class once where somebody was getting all methody and they're like they were damaged from their performance. Like they're like, I gotta go, I gotta go think and relax. And he's like, if you're here for therapy, you are not here for the right reasons. Go get therapy, then come back. And there was a Marine vet, great guy, but he still was unpacking a lot of his shit. And I'm not judging whether it was yeah. right or wrong, but it it had affected him the way it did. And it was fucking with his performances because it was fucking with him. I'm not saying turn in a bad performance. I don't give a shit. Right. But it was 
that it wasn't uh, helping project it like the way you were just saying, you know, the commercial yeah. that rep. It, yeah. it wasn't helping channel it in a healthy way or urge it or whatever. Yeah. It was reliving it for him, which wasn't the right, that's not the right way. Yeah. And yeah. so that's where I think, and it's ironic, this is definitely pitchy for you guys, but I genuinely mean it. Like, that's what's ironic about the the military, especially if it's like some infantry or Green Berets or whatever, where there's like an automatic assumption that arts would be the antithesis, which, yeah, it's the antithesis of running around with a gun kicking in a door. But ironically, sometimes that's where I think most vets are surprised by like, oh, this is actually helping me deal with this shit out yeah. with a gun. Yeah. And it's, it's ironic that the most antithetical thing that you could think of. Yeah. Pottery, whatever you want to do. Yeah. 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 For yeah. some reason that, that Rambo sitting up in the woods, claymation or bird watching for some reason, that's the most surprising thing for vets is like, they don't, they don't need to go continue shooting guns at a gun range to get their therapy. They actually might need to go act acting. Obviously you and I are biased too. But performing it has a much, God, yeah. I would say maybe drawing, if you have that knack, like that, that helps you purge something somehow. Yeah. But I, I would still be biased towards the performance of acting. It, if done right through, you know, your like tutelage, like that can help people go get this shit out of them. You know, like it's, it's a weird. Yeah. And we're, we're cutthroat to be, to be fair. Right? Cause I'm like, we're like, That's I awesome. always tell our people, I'm like, we're not here for therapy. I was like, we're here when you, when you found art through therapy and you want a paying audience to come see awesome. it, then we're, then, yeah. then we're here for you. And I humbly submit that's the best therapy when people are willing to pay their hard earned dollars. That's my point. Yeah. Arm. If it becomes but, you know, therapeutic, yeah. great, yeah. but it doesn't yeah. need to be therapy. And yeah. I think that is, that's the sweet spot. And, and I think it should be anything. I, I mean, you could, I, I love, there are days where I, if not to be all dark, but like, I think anybody can relate to this. If you don't feel like you have a sense of purpose, that's the worst yeah. thing on the planet. And vets, yeah. I think have it huge. But if I can go some days, like the little victories, this is definitely getting like huggy and long and deep, but like the little victories of like, if you just go mow the lawn, like you served a purpose that day. Sometimes you're like, I don't have to, yeah. I, I didn't have to, yeah. send, I didn't have to go kill three terrorists and five, save five hostages, you know? And sometimes right. it might, a vet would go, well, that's pretty pathetic, but it's those baby steps in the reverse of finding the, you know, finding the purpose to create that character and you get therapy out of it, going to work on your Harley or whatever, like for me, prior to the military, I know I'm just on a tangent here, but prior mm -hmm. to the military, to me, that was like a to-do list. Yeah. And now I'm realizing those things. Yeah, to-do lists still exist. Don't get me wrong. I freaking hate taking out the trash and mowing the lawn. But you can now realize like purpose can come from other things you thought were like just tasks in the past. You know, and so, I think that's where yeah. performance performances start can fall for a lot of guys if, or guys and girls if they if they give it a chance. So at the at the risk of like putting on Dave Matthews and putting on a lull of a lamp and, you know, <laughs> dimming the lights and getting all fucking oh, yeah. sophomore that college dorm room thing yeah, with, yeah, the, yeah. with us. Um, the, the other thought that's coming to me is there's an inherent, um, I went so far down the rabbit hole. Now I can't get my thought back. What was it? Um, yeah. So if I don't think that it's just that, yes, you can find purpose in your chores and all that, but I think, to be fully used up in a in the best way possible, to have fully given yourself throughout life in in the best way possible. I think it's I think it's literally um you're filling your tank up with all these experiences and your job is then to drain it and drain it in a way that the runoff goes to people that will benefit from it, whether it's a civilian audience, whether it's family members, yeah. whoever's going to benefit. And if it's mowing the lawn, and doing chores and this is the best way to communicate yeah. your experience your values and all and and that lived experience to others then great but that 
did the military experience, and I, I, I'm just having this epiphany kind of talking to you, so I'm going to sound it out, think it out yeah. loud, and you can tell me if I'm up off base, but I feel like all those lived experiences as a veteran are just the first half of the equation. And there has to be, and that's where we go wrong, is we think it's come to an end when we get out. That's just the first half. Uh, the yeah. second half is now how you exploit all those experiences. And I'm, I always say exploit, and I think people look at me weird. You with the ASOP background, I think, no, under, understand how, what I mean yeah. by exploit. Maximize, right? it maximize, the, maximize, its use, maximize yeah. the effect of it. And it's like, so, so if that's just the first half of the equation, the second half is how, how do you best yeah. Yeah, you put that out and give it back and f- funnel it, irrigate back out into the ecosystem that you live in? Does that make like sense? No, Am I crazy? I, no, it, no, it actually, I, I, I've never thought of it that way, but you're absolutely right because people, and I'm now with you 100%, like, I never thought of it that way because yeah, you'll go military career over. It, it, you think linearly, and it's and it's in its own little isolated tube. Whereas now, and I'm not, I'm still. This is very much a work in progress for me. Is now, this is really uh, this uh, little Dave Matthews hippie ish here. But like, without dark, can, there can't be light. So I'm not saying my military career was dark, but I sure as hell should more daily, which I don't. Like Betty and I, I've done this for years. Uh, Betty got to feel it this year for Memorial Day. Um, I actually watch. It's it's not meant to be dark, but I don't go watch some uplifting Top Gun two movie. I actually watch Black Hawk Down. I'll watch uh, Thirteen Hours. Ones that remind me, like holy shit, people yeah. died. Yeah. Uh, so it's a little somber. Um, and her and I were watching that, and it it may it I do it for personal reasons and honor and all that crud. But I genuinely, without I should, we should, people should, but I should, I know for sure, realize that I because I lived through something, I should appreciate life. Like those are the things to exploit from that career, like you're saying. And I think, or I know I'm not great at it. Like, because to me, and this is fascinating. I'm, this is mind boggling. This is going to shock me all day. Now to what you just said is like, yeah, I just assumed military career. I did these things, but what can I get from them? Like what, what's the other side of the gang? What's that was the yin. Now I got to find the, yeah. Yang. I, yeah. Like, and that's, that should, in theory, because it's not working at DQ, that should, because of at least my experience, that was some of the most extreme experiences a human can go through for me. That should provide me some, like, again, the DQ guy doesn't know what it's like to possibly die. So they probably might not appreciate life. They might later. Cool. Everybody's individual. But I should fucking daily go, I am lucky to be alive. I value this life. Look at this dirt. I'm lucky to have these shoes. <laughs> you know, right. like that kind right. of shit. And we, again, this is all old man's shit here, but we take that stuff for granted. Like, yeah. remember, remember, I don't know, like, there, I re- read somewhere where uh, somebody said something like, if you're an adult, look through your house right now and imagine what the kid version of you would have said, would have thought if they realized they had all those things. Mm. Something along those lines. Like, I couldn't have, I have a, that punching guy right here. I can't remember what they call it, the Bob thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. $300 punching bag. Yeah. In, in junior high, I didn't have $300 laying around. I didn't have $300 laying around. I bought this. But if somebody gave me that, I would have lost my mind because that would be the biggest gift of my year. You know, and that was that perspective that was gained from not having something. So like my career in the military, I'm lucky to be alive. I love that you're thinking, like you said, like, yeah, we think of it in this like experience isolated vacuum that has nothing to do with anything else. Yeah. Like I should value life. Yeah. Uh, I should value, yeah, my knees hurt, but I'm lucky I have them because I know a lot of guys that don't even have legs. Yeah. You know, I could just, the whole time you were talking, I was just thinking of all these yin yang scenarios. Yeah. I know we don't take, we do not think of because, like you said, it's very interesting. We think linear, done. What did I get from right. this other than all I remember is the bad. You know, right. people died. Right. Okay. But I lived. 
you know, it's right. the other side of the equation. I think you're absolutely, I know you're absolutely, at least for me, that absolutely is fascinatingly acutely true. Well, your that fault. Is, is, I mean, uh, that just came, that came from this late night dorm room bolt session, you know, <laughs> that's what happens. Yeah. That input output. I gotta, yeah, I'm, I'm yeah, going to think more exactly. on that on that. Yeah. It's yeah. fucking, um, dude, this has been, dude. Okay. So uh, it was an hour ago. I was like, Hey, last question. I don't want to take too much of your day. Oh, this is, this awesome. has been a fucking blast, man. Um, Absolutely ditto. come back. Let's do this again sometime. Obviously we can, and I will. No, I love this shit. Like not to be all huggy, but like this, this will be my little wrap up thing. Like, yeah, this, we just, I don't, I would never use, I don't want to use, like, I have bad habits with, with vernacular. I choose to use it sometimes. It's quite negative. So I was about to say we just lost three hours already. I need to not think that because I truly don't think I lost three hours. Yes, we didn't put money on a paid, our table. We didn't put, put t- I didn't buy food for us. I didn't make a dollar, whatever. I don't give a shit. But I got more out of these three hours than sitting up there watching TV going, I don't have a job or <laughs> I don't, you know, I didn't get my yeah. job. So like that, I genuinely get a lot of shit out of this. So I'll hundred percent do this again. Well, it was, it was an absolute fucking pleasure. <laughs> well, good. Uh, it was selfish for me too. And I felt, um, thanks for indulging me. And I'm glad you got as much out of it as I did. If, if, if you did. And, uh, yeah, let's do this again. I'm guessing to walk through my house stunned now for a bit. Just kind of going, <laughs> I'll go back to the, the Ron or the, uh, Bill or, uh, uh, Will Ferrell character. What, what happened? I blacked out. <laughs> no, I appreciate it. Thanks, man. I really do. That was Jeff Bosley's profile on Havoc. I, is there anything more to say? I mean, just such a great time talking. I, you know, it's, I, I, I guess I'll, I'll say the, um, kind of the unstated and unstated theme of that show. I'm trying to think about my words carefully here for a second. I think an unstated theme of that show is the cultural divide between <clears throat> the warfighter and not even just the artist, but the acting community, and specifically in Hollywood. Um, I think there's there's a lot of that that, you know, Jeff and I were were poking around at, and I do think um, I think it's really 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 important for the art world, including Hollywood acting and all the rest of it to fully ingest the warfighter experience. Um, I was struck. It's so funny. You know, I was struck how often in, as I travel through the arts world, the, the complete conviction that people in the arts world have about warfighters experience. And I say that as somebody that, you know, I would talk or make just some little point or something like that. And it's amazing how often it's dismissed or qualified or, <clears throat> you know, somebody will try to suborn it to, and use it to justify a point of view that they have about things. There's very little listening. And I'm saying that because I do have a bit of a chip on my shoulder about it. And listening to Jeff and his trials and tribulations and successes... You know, um, it's a hell of a resume he has. Let me just stay on Jeff for a second. You know, it's a hell of a resume he has. You might want to fucking listen to a guy like that. He's done things that most people haven't. It's probably worth listening to, considering how few people are even eligible to join the military. Most veterans with anything on their resume have done more than most people would have done. 
It's worth just stopping and listening to and hear the veteran in their own words. There might be some things you agree with that you didn't think of. There might be some things you don't agree with that you didn't think of. And I feel like there's, um, yeah, that, that, that's a significant, uh, divide. And it's, I mean, look, it's one of the, one of my pet projects is trying to bridge that divide and make sure that the arts world becomes richer and more three-dimensional and more, um, holistic by fully taking on the warfighter and the veteran experience, because that's, uh, you know, uh, I mean, war is uh, its just the most heightened drama you could ask for. It, it you know, um, and art revolves around so much of that. Then you might want to fucking pay attention to what those that have been in combat zones are trying to say and how they're trying to say it and have the humility to accept that you may not know everything just because you've seen a lot of movies or you know, read a lot of books or whatever. Like there's, there is <clears throat> true lived experience that can be learned from. And it's the, uh, the point I would kind of made in a somewhat clumsy way. You know, with Jeff was that, you know, I think we're very quick, especially in the arts community, arts community is very quick to gracefully tolerate or accept or listen to the lived experience of people based on immutable characteristics. Um, your race, nationality, um, you know, sexual orientation, gender, whatever. Uh, then, then everybody's very willing to listen. But when it's the lived experience of somebody that's made a voluntary choice to go into, you know, again, nobody's born a veteran, but you made the voluntary choice to serve <clears throat> and see humanity at its most extremes in extremes that most people will never see humanity. But then <laughs> those are the people that the arts community uh, wants to immediately. I'm trying to think of the best way to say it there. I know there's a verb that's just dangling just beyond my, my brain power, but that's where the art community I think wants to um, not just mute, not just round the edges uh, uh, but it's almost like people don't want to know. It's almost like you've seen things so far past the trauma that most people in the arts have lived with or experienced. And I'm, I'm generalizing. I know I'm generalizing, but <clears throat> trust me, I've been in plenty of rehearsal rooms where I've heard about, you know, minor traumas, normal traumas and things like that. And that's great. And then you empathize and, and nothing wrong with that. But the degree, the extremes of the human condition that a veteran is usually, often, privy to is really exceptional. And I feel like there's a resistance to acknowledging that because it hints at the shallowness. I'm really, I'm thinking out loud here and I'm, I'm, hearing myself and I'm hope this doesn't come off as too judgmental, but inshallah, I think the sense I pick up. So maybe I'm just projecting is that the art world sometimes looks and goes, I have so little ability. I have so little comparable experience 
that I cannot simply onboard everything you're saying without contextualizing it or putting it in my own frame of reference or somehow diminishing it or somehow um, blunting it because I cannot take on what you're saying. I do not, I cannot relate to it enough and I don't want to be in awe of the veteran experience to the extent that might be required here. That's a hint of what I not, not rarely here in the arts world. I mean, that, that is, um, I, I frequently asked by people that are not veterans, do you just thought about this or I'll give you an example. I know I'm being a little vague here, but I mean, I've had stuff just recently as this past week where somebody, you know, knew the vet rep was operating around West point and they're like, well, that's good boy. You gotta, you gotta, you know, get to the officers and make sure they understand theater. You know, they really got to understand that all those people that are going to West point. I was like, yeah, I was like, sure. I I guess, you know, Um, mostly we're just trying to entertain people. And if they like to come see a show, you know, that's great. They're like, no, 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 no. They really, they need, they need theater there. I was like, do they? I mean, this is me in my head saying this, obviously. I'm too polite to say this out loud in person. But I was like, why? I mean, first off, do you know anybody at West Point? Why do you, why do you think that they are so unbalanced as individuals that they desperately need theater? And second, what theater? What shows do you think they desperately need to see? And the implication, and, and the person I was talking to kind of further developed their ideas, and you know, that basically he sees, you know, the military industrial complex, this big soulless entity embodied at West Point, and you know, God, they really need saving. And that's the kind of evangelical attitude that in the arts I, I truly reject. It's not church. It's not a spiritual path. It has a lot of value. As I say, art is the thing I enjoy most in life. But it, it is a luxury. And I enjoy the shit out of it. And I think it's crucial to life. I think you know, more than just a luxury, I do think it's important for people to express themselves and maybe even the most important thing. But it is delicate and it is also, um, you know, there are other, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. I mean, it, it is a little bit off that. I mean, you have to have a couple other things that you, a couple other boxes to tick before you get there. So, um, yeah, yeah. Okay. I could go on at this at length and I'm, uh, I'm going to try not to do that to you guys, but I just think as I've, you guys have heard me say before on the show, I think the cultural vocabulary in this country for the warfighter is limited at best. And that's why I think it's so important. One of the many reasons why I think it's so important that veterans infiltrate the arts uh, to the highest extent possible, highest saturation point possible, because um, it's important for us to have a better vocabulary for the noble, yes, I use that word, noble aspirations of warfighting and military service. Um, Obviously, a lot of not noble things happen sometimes in the course of that. But, you know, this country's worth defending, and it's a worthwhile endeavor to fight on behalf of it. And it's important to have the cultural vocabulary with which to express those experiences. And who better than the warfighter than to provide them themselves? Okay. I know I went on and on with a little bit of an op-ed there, but anyway, you can blame Jeff Bosley for getting my getting the conversation 
pointing in that direction. And I kind of felt like that was a underlying theme of a lot of things he and I were talking about. So I laid out there guys, happy 100th episode. Thank you so much. Um, you know, especially if now you've made it through that op-ed piece there to, to get thanked. Uh, really thank you guys for sticking with us for a hundred episodes and to many, many more. We look forward to having you, uh, with us for each of them. Um, I need to thank this episode's producer, Mike Neal. Um, yes, I also need to thank uh, this episode's second sponsor, Veterans Repertory Theater, who I already referenced and referenced in the interview. So I won't say too much about them, but obviously that is my nonprofit. Uh, personally, uh, you can find out everything you want to know about it by going to vetrep.org, V-E-T-R-E-P.org, vetrep.org. While you're there, I would suggest you scroll partway down the homepage, click on the button to subscribe to our literary blog for free, and that means every day in your email inbox, you will get a little piece of veteran writing and then a bunch of shameless plugs talking about all the different stuff we're doing at VetRep. So I highly encourage you to do that to learn more and to stay in touch with us. Okay, I'm Christopher Paul Meyer. On behalf of everyone at Havoc Journal, thank you for allowing us to make it to 100 episodes. We will see you next time for another Profile in Havoc. <laughs>